episode 97 continues with Mitch being taken over by Brett and Max. Welcome to Max and Brett Unfiltered. Episode 97. Mitch is unfiltered. <laughs> Wait, Max is unfiltered. <laughs> Three, two, one. Episode 97. Slow, slow, slow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who said you get to do the opening statement? I did. No, not fair. Fine, we'll do it together. All right. But just this one time. All right. Episode, Episode 97, 97 continues, continues with, with the first, first ever, ever merch. Un- merch. merch. Woo, we got free merch. What? What? <laughs> My man. Okay. In three, two, two one. one. Episode 97 begins. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who said you get to do the opening statement? I did. Whoa, not fair. Yes, fair. Oh, come on. Fine. We'll do it together. All right. In three, two, two one. one. Episode 97 continues with the with first, first ever Mitch Unfiltered, unfiltered takeover. takeover. We've kicked him out. And welcome to Brett and Max. Unfiltered. With Father's Day weekend just past us, we, uh, we wanted to share some stories about our dad. Obviously, you guys know him very well on the air with Hotshot. Obviously, some of his, his character personality bleeds into our everyday lives. And uh, the two of us have plenty to share about him. Let's kick it off with some of the sketchy places we've been to along, along the way. Any family trips that we've been to. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, in Cincinnati, 2015 All-Star Game, we, uh, we got in really late. It was, like, it was like 1230. And we were really hungry. <laughs> So he said, you know, we were looking for a place. He found a place called Cincy by the Slice. It was one of the only places open. There were holes in the floor, wood on the ground peeling up. It was, it was a hole in the wall. Hole in the, yeah, you said it, but hole in the wall. We were getting our pizza and there's water dripping on us from the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a once in a lifetime experience and not necessarily in a good way. It was crazy. In fact, when we finished and we had our pizza to take to go, we had to walk like three blocks to get a cab. No one, no cab or Uber driver would come pick us up. <laughs> and Brett, do you remember uh, 2016 San Diego? Oh my. In 2016, we went to San Diego for the All-Star game and we upgraded our seats and we met the person who owned the older seats uh, at a gas station. It was crazy. Our dad had always had a knack for finding upgrades to the seats. He'd get, you know, he'd haggle. But this was different. It was the dead of night. This guy came out, you know, he met his dad, put on the hood, he zipped up the coat. He looked like he was making a drug deal. <laughs> and he was out there, us and, and, our, and our grandma were watching on, worrying Uncle. as the guy came out and met him. And it was a shady exchange, words were exchanged. We don't know what happened to a mystery. It's a mystery. And in the end, he got the tickets. So, I mean, no one's questioning his methods. Yeah. There's more than just crazy ticket exchanges. For example, you know, our dad has a phrase. He has a saying. There's nothing he loves more than a tie. Oh my. Max and I could play each other for hours and hours, and as many times as we played each other, he'd say, I want a tie. I want it to end in a tie. The story began, we were playing this game at the pool. We'd have a little football. My dad would be in the pool. Oh yeah. The two of us would be out, and we'd jump. He'd throw us. We'd make a catch, and he, we began keeping track of score. Early on, I began running ahead with the score, making catch because, you know, I'm taller. But eventually, I noticed that the passes were getting higher and farther away and more difficult while Brett's passes were... Were easier to catch because I was younger. I questioned my dad and I said, Dad, what is this? You're cheating. Brett's having an advantage. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> The game is completely fair. And you don't even have to remember this, but all the times that we played one-on-one, 
you know, we're getting older, we're getting stronger, we're going more at it, we're getting more competitive, and our dad loves one thing the most. He doesn't like you winning, and he doesn't like me winning. He loves ties. That's right. The foul calls would stack up conveniently. If Brett was hitting too many threes, he would start double dribbling conveniently. And if I was posting him up, suddenly there would be charges. It was very convenient. Though, he claims still to this day that he has no involvement. <sighs> and do you remember in Florida, TikTok fame? We started in a competition, but then all of you probably know TikTok by now. And we were filming a video of us making diving catches. And we were trying this one trick, but we just couldn't get to land it. And our dad kept saying one thing. TikTok fame. It stuck like glue. Every time we dropped a ball... He would say, come on, guys, TikTok fame, let's do it again. But do you ever notice he never, ever got out of the pool to fetch the ball if it missed? Nope. You know why? Because he's lazy. He can be a little lazy sometimes. Sometimes. But at least he was happy with us exercising. Tell me about it. At about 2 p.m., if the sun is out every day, he comes down the hall and he says, all right, everybody, screens off outside where we all go sit in the chair. On our screens. <laughs> yeah, um, or sometimes he gives us challenges for uh, basketball. He goes out and he says, come on, free throws, free throws, free throws. There was one time where he was like, Brett, hit 9 out of 10 free throws, and we'll give you 10 bucks. And Brett came up to the line and hit 9 out of 10 on the first try. And then, guess who came outside? Max came outside. In? Slides. Busting out the slides, here I came, and he offered me the same deal. For 7 out of 10 free throws. And guess who hit 7 out of 10? Max Michael Weavy. That's movie mogul Max to you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but before we wrap up, Brett, I, I do want to get you a quick question. Thoughts on the NBA return. Who you got? NBA title. Comes back July 30th. I don't Give know. Give us your prediction. Come on. Uh, Cl Clippers. Uh, Clippers? The Clippers? Clippers Clippers in the West, and for the East Coast, it's going to be the Bucks. It's going to be a runaway. The Bucks are just too good. So then Bucks or Clippers? Who you got? Bucks or Clippers? Clippers. Clippers. Well, you heard it here first. Brett Levy says Clippers in? Six. Six games. Clippers over Bucks in six games. I want to agree with them, but I can't. Bucks over Clippers in seven. Oh. Sorry. Brothers don't always agree on everything. And uh, have a good one. Happy Father's Day. What do you think? That was good. Before Brett and I allow you to hear from Hot Shot and my dad, we have a reminder for you. This or any other episode of Mitch Unfiltered would not be possible without Zeke's Pizza. All 17 locations are open. 50% maximum capacity inside and outside seating. If my dad joins you, make sure you order him mushrooms on his pizza. We had it delivered here for my graduation dinner. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and Zeke's Pizza will deliver to you. Homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, the Leshy location, is now open. Bellevue and Southlake Union are reopening this week. Finally, some good news for the Schwartz family restaurants. You will hear Lindsay Schwartz on this episode 97. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Call 425-250-3150. With low interest rates, the selling market is much hotter than you think. And of course, great refinance opportunities with numbers in the high twos and low threes. Hey, Dad. Please don't rent out my room when I go off to college. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call. The stock market wasn't great last week, so my college fund took a hit. Tyler Hayes' team at Evergreen can help your family grow your money for your kids' colleges. Check out the website evergreengk.com. 
Sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free. With offices along the West Coast, headquartered here in Bellevue, Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Episode 97 starts right now. Unfiltered. Was Mark McGuire a more prolific home run hitter on steroids than Junior? Maybe. Junior was right there with him. Sure was. Oh, natural. And I'm not a huge Junior fan. Personally, I've never been a huge Junior fan. But man, that guy was great. Yeah, Sammy Sosa skipping around like like he's in the ballet. Yeah, yeah. The cork coming out of the bat. (laughs) And he had Junior like climbing walls and making catches. Unfiltered. My dad is wearing, he's wearing a Syracuse hat. Okay. He didn't go to Syracuse. He's wearing a Syracuse, and it's sweat all through the hat. Oh, he worked out in it. And he's in a hat and probably clothes that don't fit so well. And <laughs> yeah. he, let's put it this way. My dad at the moment, at that moment, didn't look like who he was, which is a Harvard Law School attorney. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, that's yeah. what my dad was. Right. My dad was pretty shrewd. Okay? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. pretty good. Mitch is unfiltered. And episode 97, Hot Shot Scott, is officially underway. Episode 97 of Mitch Unfiltered with some special guest stars to do the tease. I didn't have to do the tease. That's right, but you're, uh, you're going to be invoiced by those stars, I heard. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be invoiced. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> okay. Because when they asked me, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? Yeah. And I couldn't have what I really wanted, which was a nice, relaxing, safe trip to a barber shop and sit in the chair <laughs> like the old days. You know, this, this pandemic, it gets you, it, it makes you kind of appreciate the little things. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. What I would do just to go to get a haircut. <laughs> I mean, sit in the chair, put the, the thing around me, the drape around me. I kind of fall asleep when they're doing oh, my hair. Oh, totally. Fall. The, the oh, buzz, yeah, the, the sound. Yeah, the buzz, oh, the sound. And yeah. then they shave your neck a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what I would do, what I would have done for that for Father's Day. <laughs> But since I couldn't have my number one wish on my Christmas, on my Father's Day list, I said, you know what I want? They said, what? I said, I want you guys to do the tease so I don't have to. Nice. They they said, okay, we're in. Giving you the day off a little bit or the segment off. They gave me a segment (laughs) off. And so now episode 97 is underway. Nice. And, you know, I I was thinking I was in the store the other day. I had a mask on. I I have a question for you. Yeah. And I was having trouble getting my debit card out of my wallet. Sometimes it just kind of sticks. And my first reaction was to lick my finger. Oh, no, no, but no, no. I you ended can't? Up, well, I ended up licking the back of my mask because I forgot I had it on. Right. And then I started thinking, you've seen a lot of athletes, finger lickers. You've seen these guys? Quarterbacks? How about, how about pitchers? Oh, pitchers, Pitchers too. go to the mouth all the time. All yeah. the time. All the time. Is that going to be a thing of the past is my question for you. Because I started thinking, man, no. a lot of athletes, they love licking no. their fingers. No, athletes are going to do what they do. Okay. Yeah. But, but it actually speaks to a point, and I don't want to get into the politics. I know... I know as soon as we enter into the mask wearing thing, it becomes a political conversation and people are pissed at Mitch. I've got people, I've got patrons dropping their, their subscription because Mitch is too political on the, I didn't even know that I, I was political really? on the, yeah, I'm, we have a little exit surveys when you um, drop your patron thing and you can say why you're not a patron anymore, uh, like changed an account or lost my job or yeah, yeah. financial situations changed, or you can write a little note and I'm getting notes from people saying he's just too political and I, I, I try to play it right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, am I not playing it right down the middle? Well, it's going to sound like I'm blowing smoke, but I feel like you're playing it I down the middle. I try to play it. Yeah. I try to play it right down the middle. But it goes back. The mask thing, the fact that we went through, and this is going to sound political and it's not. It's not politically motivated at all, what I'm about to say. But we went through this period. Do you remember at the beginning when we all were sheltering or even before that 
when scientists said, don't worry about masks, they don't help. Yeah. Which didn't make sense to me at the time. And now everybody says, oh, you got to wear a mask. I, I wonder what's changed between yeah. when they were te- the same people were telling us, don't worry about masks. Now they're saying to wear masks. And they all say that the reason you wear a mask is because you're protecting others from you. Right? right. It's a it's a it's a goodwill gesture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I when I wear a mask to the QFC, I'm protecting others in case I'm a carrier and I don't know it. Right. Yep. But I've always felt like you've got to be protecting yourself, too, because they say that the, the the one biggest way by a landslide that you get the virus is it gets on your hands. That's why they tell you to wash your hands. The virus gets on your hands and then you put your hands to your face. Yeah. And that's the way you get the virus. That's the number one way. And I think the second, third and fourth, if you added them up, multiply it by 20, you still don't. Get, that's the oh, way gotcha. people get the virus. They get it on their hands. The virus is on their hands. Then they put their hands to their face. Well, if you're wearing a mask, A... When you do put your fingers to your face, like you did in the in the grocery store, <laughs> oh, wherever you were, it. right? It you don't get to your right. face. And number two, I find and I don't know if you find the same thing. When you're wearing a mask, I don't even go to my face as often because hmm. I have something on it and it, it's yeah, not yeah. comfortable. Or if I'm wearing gloves, the 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 feeling of the glove to my face, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of yeah. gross. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I, the fact that you know, four months ago, people were saying masks don't help at all. It's just got to be one of the most ridiculous things looking back on it yeah. ever. And again, I am not making a political. Here you go, Mr. Political because, again. Because it just seems like mask wearers are Democrats, oh, right. and and if you don't wear a mask, you're a Republican, yeah. and there's no place in the middle. I, you you just can't be concerned for your health and be a Republican. Wear a mask, be concerned for your health, and be a Republican, or be a democrat and choose not to wear one and choose not to wear no, one no. you can it is just you, it, it's one or the other yep. you're announcing your political affiliation <laughs> that's, that's right. when you walk into the store <laughs> your whether your face is covered or not <laughs> yeah. you are saying i am a republican i'm a right wing republican traditionalist yep. or i'm i'm on the left i saw a tweet on saturday night from a guy you and i both used to work with i'm not going to call him out cuz okay. you don't need to go find him but he said it was during the trump rally and all he said was i want to turn away but i can't I can't stop watching. That's all he said. I mean, I, I assume he was talking about the rally. Yeah. And holy Lord, you should have seen the comments. Boom, boom, boom on both sides. Just one little tweet like that that was you know, sort of innocuous. And people, it was just 50-50, yeah. killing each other. F you, you suck. It's like, wow. I mean, he, that was barely political what he said. Well, speaking of the change of direction from mask to no mask, or no mask to mask, we'll get to how the world has changed with just the development of people getting testing positive for COVID, especially in the athletic world. We'll get there in a second. But since I didn't get a chance to speak, I was kicked out of the of Mitch Unfiltered for the tea section. Yeah. I need to tell you a couple of things. A, you may or may not be aware that this and all other shows can be heard just about everywhere where podcasts are found, like Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. So we want you to subscribe for free and submit a review and rating. I'd also like to say a heartfelt thank you to all of you who have allowed us to stay around for 97 shows. And when you add in the peace shows, we've probably done, I've probably done 150 shows now. Yeah. I yeah. never thought when I started this that I'd be doing 150 <laughs> shows. And the only reason I'm doing 150 shows is because people still seem to enjoy 
what you're doing. I don't know if they're enjoying what I'm doing, <laughs> but they seem to be enjoying it, and I want to thank everybody. Yes, the pa- thank you. And I'm not just talking about the patrons. I'm talking about everybody who listens on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays to the free show. Yep. The patrons, obviously. Thank you very much. A heartfelt thank you. And I'd also like to say, even though now Father's Day is in our rearview mirror, depending upon when you're listening to this, I hope all the fathers out there had a happy Father's Day. And I hope you, the father of Piper, we're going to hear you and Piper together for the first time on (laughs) Mitch Unfiltered later on in this episode 97. Did you have a a good Father's Day? I did. I got to sleep in a little bit, watched a little karate kid, had some food. It was a a nice Father's Day. Your father is still alive, right? He is, yes. Okay. Did you get a chance to spend any time with your father? Well, he lives in Arizona. Okay. So, no, I haven't. And and your sister lives in Arizona? Yes. Are they nearby? Same property. Okay. My sister sort of brought him into the compound. Okay. Yeah. So you don't get a chance. You don't get a chance very often on Father's Day, too. So what? What did you and Piper and the wife and what everybody do? Well, I think we're going to do the same thing as we did the weekend before. It was just go down to Tacoma and visit her dad, who ah, who has a boat. After we're finished recording. This. Yeah, that's why I wanted to maybe get a little early so I can have okay, a some so dinner. You, yeah. So we, he has a big like fifty-five foot boat. That the guy lives. with the truck. Yes. With the flat tire. Yes. At Bubble Tea. He lives on a boat during the summer in Tacoma. And then he lives in Arizona in the winter. So we'll go down to his boat and eat outside. And that's probably going to be the extent of it. Now, my wife wants to sit in a restaurant still. I just don't she think. Does. I'm, yeah. I just don't think I'm ready. I said no to that. She does. Yeah. I know. Piper doesn't want to do it either. She's like, well, mm. well, 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 we all do. Yeah. Right. I don't think there's any question that we're all itching to go sit in a restaurant. Oh. The question is. That's who? my haircut. Like you want to get. I, oh, I want to sit in a restaurant. I, I do too. I love it. Yeah. How about if we sit in a barber's chair and eat? I, I don't know. Just put it all in <laughs> put one Put a movie place. on. Dude. I just want to get a haircut. And my son, like, what are you saying? You don't like my haircuts? I, no, it's not about that. I want to go sit in the chair with that uncomfortable thing they put around your neck. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. And I, the itchy I'm, thing? I'm, 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 I want that. I'm, I'm <laughs> You're longing for, that. for the I'm itch. longing for the itchy thing that they put around your <laughs> I neck. Hate it too. But yeah. I just, you know, I, I fall asleep. I just want to get a haircut. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? I want to get a... And, Go and to I know Texas. People, well, people are yelling at us. I think I think places we're now in phase two. I think that I think haircut places, barber shops are open. Yeah, my wife got her hair done eventually. But I just don't have the. I don't know. I'm afraid of getting sick. Yeah. I think if I were 25, by now I'd be out. And you might say, "Oh, Mitch, you would you would have been like that from the beginning." <laughs> I probably wouldn't because I was a hypochondriac at 25. And you'd like to bury Manilow at 25. So I, I like you, Barry Manilow at three. That's right. <laughs> uh, you were never so, a 25 year old. <laughs> I don't think I was ever a true 25 year old. No. But I think if I were younger right now. And I don't think I have pre-existing conditions. I don't think I have underlying conditions, but I'm still scared. I am, sure. I am scared, and people are probably giggling. All the Republicans out there are giggling <laughs> at me as they listen to this. I am scared. I don't want to catch this. And for all I know, I've already had it. I'd, I'd like to go find out if I have any antibodies in me. That's right. In, in me to find out if I if I once had it, because along the way I had sniffles and coughs and whatever, and I always wondered. Now you're after telling the first me. sneeze. Yeah, after the first <laughs> sneeze, I was like, Do I have it? You know, I I just. I right. don't know. I'm scared. Right when this first all went down, I felt like crap for one day. I fell asleep on the couch, which I never do. I just felt kind of nauseous, and it yeah. could have just been anything. Yeah. But I kind of wonder. It was in March. Yeah. Maybe I just had it, and I didn't. It didn't really hit let's me that go hard. Get, I don't know. Let's go get a test and see if we had it. The antibodies test. Yeah. The antibodies test. Yeah. I I told you my doctor. Because then if we had it, then I'm going to barbershop every day. Oh, I'm, I'm going to gonna, raves. I'm gonna, they're gonna like we just cut your hair yesterday. I don't yeah, care. I'm back. Put the itchy thing around my <laughs> neck and let's go. I found some more hairs that you missed. <laughs> But, you know, I went to my doctor a few weeks ago. He said, if you got it, I wouldn't be worried for you, specifically me, because of my health. So that made me that's feel a they little always, better. That's what they always say. But then you read, there's, yeah. do I need to send them to you? No, like you, you send me RIPs? Yeah. Do I need to send you all of the healthy, healthy people? 
with yeah. no conditions and the, the picture of health that ended up in the hospital with this with this I can't believe and we'll get we'll get there in a second. Okay. Hold on. It's been a while since I asked the favor. You're wondering what you can get me as a belated Father's Day gift? Yes, I will. The was. listeners, not you. Oh, okay. The listeners, you too. All right. Because I figure I'm in the top 50 million of fathers in the country. Phil Mickelson is the number one father. We've all found that out over the years. Okay. Uh, and then you go down the list, the rankings of the best fathers in the world. I think I'm in the top 50 million of the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you might know? be right. I would like as my Father's Day gift from the listeners, those of you who have not clicked play on every Mitch Unfiltered episode, all 97 of them, you don't have to worry about the patron shows, I want everybody who has not clicked play on all 97 shows to go through on their app and just go play, 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 play yep. 97 times. And you could do it on desktop too. Just go desktop, to the website, that, whatever. That's yeah. the, if you want to know what you can get me for Father's not that anybody should get me a Father's Day gift. I haven't asked that favor in a long time. How long, I, I think I asked you this like in the 60s or 70s, how long would it take to hit play, the play button, 97 times? I feel like it was about five minutes when I did it. At 60 or 70? Yeah, about so maybe six, seven minutes. So I'm asking it. for six or seven minutes from people's But days. people might be faster than me at it. Who knows? It could be people. Remember the old track and field no, video I, game? No, you, you're one of the, oh, Remember? I love that. <laughs> so maybe some people you have had those to, skills. You had to advance in, a, in, a, in an event to go to the next one. That's right, yeah, yeah. Did you ever know that if you, on, the, on the javelin, that if you held the button and it went straight up, you would hit like a light and it would come down? Oh, really? Did you get extra points for that? Did you know that? No, I had no yeah, idea. You, you, had to, you wanted to qualify first, throw, a, throw one long enough that you qualify for the next event. But then you could throw one and you go straight up and it would hit a light and come. I love that game. That game was great like one oh. button was the left foot one button was oh. the right and then there was a jump <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's when, right. You, when you were running the hurdles <laughs> that was a great game boom boom yep because you had to get the timing you had to jump that's right right you had to jump at, 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 yeah i love great that game. game yeah i forgot about that game. yeah i got the skills fast yeah. fingers oh i love that game anyway anybody out there who was willing to do so click on all 97 uh, mitch unfiltered episodes and click play uh, where are we? Oh, if Mitch Unfiltered one week's or one show per week is not enough for you, it isn't enough for us. We like to do two a, sh two a time. Maybe we do more than that. Uh, you can become a patron very easily by going to MitchUnfiltered.com. And for $5 a month, uh, you will have access to all of the bonus shows. And we do a full bonus show yep, sure with do. guests a couple hours long and at least 90 minutes long. Every Thursday morning, we release a new bonus show. So we do two a week. All right. Episode 97, the kids did the tease, so I haven't been able to give you the guests on episode 97 okay. just yet. Biggest NFL story of the week with a little taste of Seahawks tossed in is what? Da -da 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 -da. Dak Prescott signing the one-year tender? I don't know how that would affect no, the Seahawks, really. That, one, but... that wouldn't impact the Seahawks. Hmm... Biggest NFL story of the week with a little hint of Seahawks thrown in. Bigger than Dak Prescott signing. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know. Did that happen on the day that we're recording? Yeah, I think yeah. it okay. well, he's The one-year deal, and he one still have deal. till July 15th. Right. To which our pal on the last yeah, episode think, said it's going to happen. I think there's a bigger story than him staying in Dallas on a one-year, especially when it comes to the Seahawks. Okay. How about Jamal Adams? Oh, Ever heard of him? Safety for the Jets? They say the best safety in football. He, Some yep. say the second or third. He's an all-pro, a first team. Not a pro bowler. He's a pro bowler, too. But he is a first team, all-pro 
24-year-old safety has told the Jets, I'm done, I want out, and he has given them seven teams, and one of the seven teams is... (laughs) The Seattle Seahawks. Well, I have my views on this, but our first guest will be uh, Dennis Wazak. Dennis Wazak Jr., he's an Associated Press writer who has covered the Jets for the last 15 years. He's going to give us the ins and outs. A, what happened between Jamal Adams and the Jets? B... Will he get traded? See what would be the compensation? Yeah. What will the Jets want for a trade? D, what do you then have to give Jamal Adams in terms of a new contract right. <laughs> to trade? I mean, there are lots of layers and angles to this storyline, and we'll speak to somebody who's been around the Jets for the last 15 years. He will be guest number one. Guest number two, Friday, last Friday, marked the 34th anniversary of just a horrible day in the world of sports. June 19th was Friday, last Friday. Okay. 34 years earlier, June 19th, 1986. What happened? June 19th. Was that Len Bias? Len Bias. Yeah. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. Len Bias, one of the greatest college basketball players of his era, who had just been drafted by the Boston Celtics, less than 48 hours was dead yeah. in a dorm room. Uh, of a cocaine overdose. We never got a chance to see Len Bias versus Michael Jordan. We saw it in college, Len Bias versus Michael Jordan, I do believe. When Bias was, he, uh, Jordan's a little older than Bias. Yeah. But we all were waiting for the Boston Celtics Chicago Bulls rivalry with Len Bias on Boston and Michael Jordan. And it never happened because he overdosed less than 48 hours after being drafted in 1986 on June 19th. I- it was 34 years, and the number that he wore on his back was number 34. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And so I reached out to a former teammate of his by the name of Dave Dickerson, who was on the Maryland team with Len Bias and was at the party. And Dave Dickerson is guest number two here on episode 97. He's going to reminisce about Len. He's going to reminisce about that night. He's going to reminisce about getting a bang on his dorm room at 6 o'clock in the morning saying Len's, we're taking Len to the hospital, getting in the wow. car, driving behind the ambulance to the hospital. He's going to tell the whole story as he saw it of Len Bias. I remember a few things about that story. I remember thinking, how the hell did the Celtics get this guy? I think they just won the world championship. Yeah. How, how did that happen? Well, I got to remember, there was a trade, an earlier uh, apparently trade. Apparently there pretty was. sure, a couple wow. of years earlier. I remember yeah. thinking, they're adding this guy to the God. world champions? Yeah. And the other thing is, I, don't, I was Do you 12. remember him playing? Well, Did you watch college basketball? I was going to ask you. I don't really remember oh, him in college. God, I'm sure Scott. you do. And I know what people, a lot of people think, and I think this too, yeah, once a guy dies, you then- you romanticize it a bit. Hank no, gathers the same no, way. No, 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 not with this guy. Is that right? This guy was unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. Believable, Athletic, soft jumper. There was no three-point line in those days. Could jump out of the gym. I mean, this guy was unstoppable. He was going to be... uh, He was going to be an an NBA Hall of Famer from the moment he put that green on. He was going to look really bad in green. I hated hated the (laughs) fact that he was going to the ball. And here's the deal. Ask me where I was on June June 18th, June 17th, 1986. Where were you? With him. At the draft, I was a first-year intern, and they sent me to cover wow. the draft at the Felt Forum in New York, and they put me in a in a seat that was two rows right behind him. I could have reached down and tapped him on the head. I was standing there. Wow. People might uh, that are old enough or have seen the video might remember. He went up. He was 
he, he wanted to be drafted by the Celtics. It was second. Brad Doherty, the Cleveland Cavaliers earlier in the day made a huge trade with the Philadelphia 76ers. The 76ers had the one had the one pick okay. earlier in the day. The the Cavaliers sent all kinds of players so they could get up to number one to draft Brad Doherty out of North Carolina. Yeah. He was kind of like what Michael Jordan was third and Sam Bowie was number one. So yeah, yeah. Brad Doherty was to Len Bias what what uh, Sam Bowie was. Brad was a little better than uh, well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam, Sam Bowie got hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but I can recall Amazing. he gets picked. He puts that Celtics hat on. He doesn't put it all the way on. I, I could just re- I, I, I have, have such it, a yeah. vi- vivid me- memory of it. He he's got this grin from ear to ear. He puts the the hat on. It's kind of sticking up. It's not all the way over his head. The green hat. Then the next day, he and his father fly to Boston. They do the ceremonial thing in Boston. Ah. Then he comes back. He goes to party. He's in a dorm room. You'll hear the rest of the story. Hearing that story as a 12-year-old also made me insanely afraid of cocaine because... I guess that's a good thing. Right. It really was. I mean, it just made me into like, okay, you can take it once and just die instantly. Yeah. So that, I guess, that's one good thing to come out of it for me at least. Mm. Guest number three on episode 97. So this is kind of a little bit different. I don't know what you're aware of. So last week, when I told you that Max Levy graduated, virtually graduated from high school, Mm -hmm. his mother set up a Zoom call with all the grandparents, the uncles, the aunts. Oh, nice. So that on the night after, and he didn't even want any of this, but (laughs) the night after he graduated, they could all, you know, maybe they would have come for his graduation. I don't know, but there was no coming for his graduation. So she put him up on the screen. She sent a package to all the grandparents with directions, don't open this package until we're on the Zoom call. Okay. So everybody, she sent to D.C. and to Florida and whatever. So everybody gets on the Zoom call. And then she says, okay, everybody open their package now. And it, it was the coronavirus UW mask. Oh, nice. So everybody put the, <laughs> she had bought a, a oh, flurry cool. of UW coronavirus masks for the grand, for the grand. Is that the same grand. one that you wear? That's the same one that saw I wear. I saw it on right. Twitter. So you it's saw really it on cool. Twitter. Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so I took a picture of myself in in QFC wearing the UW mask because yep. I had nothing better to do, and it was time <laughs> to check out tomatoes. Right. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't realize the reaction. There was a pretty hearty reaction, especially amongst UW, our UW fans. Like, where can I get one? Where can I? I yeah. guess they must be UW Democrats, as we right. pointed out. <laughs> right. Because no Republican wears no, no, it. No. Was again. Where can I get one? Where can I get one? Get where can I get one? Yeah, and um, I was like, "Where did you?" And I came home and said, "Where did you get it?" And it turns out that my wife found somebody on Etsy. Do sure. you know Etsy? See, I don't know Etsy. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Oh, you are. Yeah, it's people who can make stuff and then sell it. Like you make you make these different shoes. Brett has are... now got a business on Etsy. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which we can go into at another time. But she found a woman in Boise, Idaho who's a fifth grade elementary school teacher. Wow. Who likes to make stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when this all thing happened and everybody was like, I need a mask, I can't find a mask, everything sold out, everything. She just started making masks for free for people. And then she ran out of materials and her husband and father said, well, charge. (laughs) So then she said, all right, how about if I do a Boise State one with that fabric? And what if I did a UW one? So her story's kind of cute. Okay. It's not like a big business. So I said, let's get her on. Sure. Let's get her on to tell the story and maybe generate... Those people that want to wear a mask, again, this is not a politically motivated comment. Right. If you want to wear a mask, maybe with your alma mater, 
Gabby Weeks is the woman for you in Boise, Idaho. I can guarantee the mask that I wear, that my family wears, was purchased from a private person just making them in California. I remember my wife telling me. Okay. Because you remember, everything was sold out. Everything was sold out. Everything. So people and that's why she started doing it. She put them on Etsy. People started making them. And, and now she said, she, she got on the phone with me the other day and she said, boy, you you dub people you, <laughs> because people who saw me yeah, yeah. on the on the on Twitter, I sent out the link, and oh. she's just starting it. And she she makes every one of them one by one oh. with her sewing machine. Wow. Well, school's it out. Takes Twenty minutes. School's out now, yeah, so school's she, out. she can get to work. So I thought I'd invite her on to tell her story. Well, good for her. And that's that's, that's the show. All right. All right. And then the other guest would be. Well, you heard you heard two of the guests yep. in our tease. The other guest would be. Uh, Piper Soden. She was very nervous to do it. Meanwhile, she won't oh stop God. talking. I have already me. heard it. I've already oh. edited it. I've already gotten it ready for air. <laughs> I told you coming in. I don't know what it is, but she has got to be the most mature-sounding eleven-year-old on <laughs> oh, the that's planet. Nice. Thank you. I don't know. I don't. And he, it's it's clearly not the father. No, we know that. And I'm and I and I just wonder: is it is it because girls are ahead of boys at eleven? We know that. Is it the only child thing? There's, there's a level of maturity when people hear this huh, later on in episode 97. There's just a, anybody who's got an 11-year-old. Now, if you don't have an 11-year-old, you'll just think, oh, she's just an 11-year-old. If you've got an 11-year-old, especially an 11-year-old boy like I had a couple of years ago, yeah. you will listen to that and go, oh, my God. <laughs> That's funny. How is, it, how is it possible that she is that mature? And yet, no phone. Oh, we will talk about thing. in the other stuff oh, segment. God, we will talk about that in the other stuff segment. It's coming, the phone. Episode 97. Yes. Did you think of any 97s as you came? Episode came Rufus Porter, number 90. I think Rufus Porter was number 97 for the Seahawks. He was. Okay, Rufus Porter. You remember Rufus Porter? Sure. Seven seasons. Pretty good, quick, fast. Not just pretty good. Here's the, here's something that I was really impressed by. I don't remember Rufus Porter as a player. I wasn't around in those days. I mean, I wasn't here. 1988 undrafted mm. Seahawks sign him, and he becomes a pro bowler in his rookie and second year. So here's my trivia question, which I have no answer to. Okay. So I can't answer it. How many guys in NFL history are undrafted? Yeah. And then are a pro bowler in their rookie and second year. I will bet you that the list, I, I'm certain it's probably happened before. Yeah. I'm certain it's probably happened. Okay. <laughs> I'm probably, I'm certain it happened before. Um, but it can't, couldn't have happened that often, could Th it? Thinking of a really good undrafted player is tough. Just, just right. a good player. Like right. Doug Baldwin was undrafted, right? Yeah, but did he make the pro no. bowl his first two years? I don't think so. Rufus Porter did that for the yeah. Seattle Seahawks. So he's 97. Any under 97s you can come up with? None off the top of my head for the Seahawks. Are there more for the Seahawks? How about the current one? Uh, big Puna. Oh, yeah. Puna big, Ford. Big sure. Puna Ford wears okay. number 97. There was another 97 who made the... It was actually an all-pro. They signed him from the Atlanta Falcons in 2007. Really? Came, they give him big money. He played his first eight years in Atlanta for the Falcons. He played his last three seasons here for the Seahawks. He had 14 and a half sacks his first year, I believe, for Mike Holmgren in 2007. I was a season ticket holder. I should totally know this. He married a local sportscaster. Oh, you're killing me. I should know Her this. Her name was Lisa Gangle. Her name is now Lisa Kearney. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I forgot about it. Patrick, Patrick Kearney. Kearney yeah, yeah, yeah. Who got mad at me when I called him Patrick Gangle. <laughs> Did he? He didn't care for that too much? 
He I wore, forgot about him. He wore number 97. He was really good in Atlanta. He was great. <laughs> He had 14 and a half sacks yeah. for the Seahawks, first team All-Pro, and then didn't do much the second two years, yeah. got hurt, and he was gone. Three years and out. All right. So he wore 97. I've got a uh, University of Washington 97. I don't remember him, but I was here. Okay. You might. David Ritchie mean anything to you? David Ritchie, yeah, a linebacker. A multi-year yeah. starter from Kelso, Washington. Yeah. Uh, he finished his senior season 1996. I was going to say. Nine and a half tackles for loss and six sacks. He's right after that 91-92 that run. He was probably yeah. a freshman. You know, he was part of that, part of that recruiting class. Maybe. He, he maybe. was like the next wave. Four-year NFL career war number 97 for the Seahawks. Okay. All right. Wait, for the Seahawks? I'm mean, sorry, for the Washington the, okay. Huskies. Yeah, David Ritchie was a good player. Are you making that up? No, no. He was a good player. I remember. You sure? I think he had a big hit in the uh, Whammy in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. He had a really big hit. Remember when they went what down was and the... beat Miami in 1994? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I just remember Fluke. I think he had a Fluke, big hit. Fluke was like Appalachian State beating Michigan. <laughs> um, what year was the Whammy in Miami? 94. So he was on that team. Okay. He was on that team because he graduated in 96. Okay, national 97s. Best one is probably a sport that you're not very familiar with, nor am I. Ice hockey. Yeah. A lot of 90-somethings in ice hockey. Jeremy? Roenick. 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 I've heard the name. Chicago Blackhawks, 18 seasons. One of three American-born players to score 500 goals in their career. Ask me who the other two were. American-born NHL players to score 500. Ask me. He was a nine-time All-Star and a Hall of Famer. Ask me who the two others were. Who are the other two Americans to to score 500 goals in their career? I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) I'll go with Gordy Howe. What do I look like? Google? Do I look like Google to you? (laughs) And then there's there's this young NHLer that people say when it's all said and done, if we do this show in ten years from now, he'll be he'll eclipse Jeremy Roenick as the best ninety seven. Is a guy named Connor McDavid. Do you know that name? Never heard Edmonton of Oilers. He's a young superstar phenom. Hmm. He's played four years. He's only 23 years old. And I was looking him up the other night just because he wore number 97, and I found something that I almost dropped me right out of my chair. They just sold – somebody just stole, sold a rookie Connor McDavid card, trading card. A hockey from card? From three years ago. Okay. He's four years – or four years ago. For $135,000. Really? A Connor McDavid rookie car sold for $135,000. That's how valuable this guy. And I don't even know who this guy is. I didn't know trading cars were really a thing anymore that people are interested in that. It was big when I was a kid. Football cards, I never heard cards. of it. I didn't even know that NHL, I, I just assumed NHL yeah. playoff cards existed, but yeah, I yeah. never had one before. No, no, no. I never even heard no. of them. I had football cards, though. Oh, Love the football I cards. I had football and baseball cards. Well, my mom threw out. Oh. She must have thrown out millions of dollars worth of baseball cards. Stupid stepmom threw out we a like Joe Montana walk, rookie. We like to walk around and say, we had Babe Ruth rookies, <laughs> right. Roger Maris rookies, <laughs> Mickey Mantle rookies. That's what you do when you make Honus a claim. Honus Wagner. We had like yeah, four yeah. Honus Wagners. <laughs> when you make a claim with the insurance company, yeah, you yeah, pump yeah. it up a little bit. I had some gold bullion in my trunk. <laughs> and I think I took a couple of the Honus Wagners and put them in my wheel spikes. <laughs> That's right. To get my the rookie, motorcycle but notes. I only use the rookie Honus Wagners to put in the wheel spikes. <laughs> right. Right. So there you're 97. Simeon Rice wore 97. Illinois. Kurt, yes. 13 years in the NFL. Sacked quarterbacks. Kurt Busch drove car ni- number 97 in NASCAR. Okay. And those are the 97s. Yeah. yeah. And I think before we finish up segment number one and get to the three interviews and hear from Piper as well on this kind of Father's Day edition, kind of. We're recording this on Father's Day. People will hear it sometime after. I just, what are we doing? What are we doing with the COVID-19 virus in sports? What are we doing? I have, a, 
this list was good. This list will be outdated by the time people actually hear this show. Right. But as of this recording, listen to this list. And when I tell you this list, I want you to remember in your mind, okay. what was it like when we found out that Rudy Gobert, one player yeah. for the Utah Jazz, tested positive for COVID-19? What was our react? What was the world's reaction when that happened? Well, everyone was quarantined. Both the teams were quarantined. And closed and, down sports. That's, the, that was the beginning of closing down. That's right. The NBA just sport. said, we're done. <laughs> and then MLB said, oh, we're not starting. Everybody, tournament. everybody batted down the <laughs> yeah. house, right? You yep. batted down the house and you hid under your desk. Yeah. That's, what, that's what every sports team and league did after one guy named Rudy Gobert yeah. tested positive for COVID-19. That's okay. A good point. There's a hundred, I think a hundred thousand people have died since Rudy Gobert. Millions have contracted it. Uh, 100,000 have died. Again, this is not political. I'm just giving you stats. 118,000, okay? yeah. And, and, and think about how we acted after one guy, one athlete. Have, and now listen to this. 13 University of Texas players, 11 NHL players, a PGA Tour player, a Giants baseball player, an Astros player, 28 Clemson student athletes, five Phillies, five staff Philly staff members, two Angels, a coach from the Angels, two Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one assistant coach, Denver Broncos, a handful of Dallas Cowboys, including Zeke Elliott, a handful of Houston Texans, and 30 LSU players have been quarantined, either positive or exposed. That's the list as of now, and the vast majority of people, after we closed everything for one guy, and all these people have gotten sick and died, the vast majority of us are going, okay, well, hey, let's go. What are you going to do? We can't can't do anything about it. Let's go. Hopefully hopefully nobody will die. If they don't die, it's okay. They're, They're young, strapping athletes, hotshot. They're young. Nothing's good. It's like the flu. They're gonna. It's gonna bounce right off of them. Nobody's gonna. Let's just go. The NFL, for an example, Anthony Fauci came out to somebody this past week and said, "I don't know. I think if the if the NFL's not gonna play in the bubble like the NBA, I don't think they can do it." And here's his quote, unless players are essentially in a bubble, insulated from the community, and they are tested nearly every day, it would be very hard, this is Fauci, to see how football is able to be played this fall. Here's the response by the NFL's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills. We do not feel like it's practical or appropriate to construct a bubble. Very likely the testing strategy will look different from start to end of the season as science evolves. The plan is to test everyone who will be exposed to players and coaches like officials just prior to game day. Anyone who tests positive will be isolated until medically appropriate to return. So Fauci saying they probably shouldn't play unless they're in a bubble. And the NFL saying, screw you, we're playing. Right. If people get sick, people get sick. What's the injury report going to look like every week? It's well, they have to decide whether it's going to it's going to have, in parenthesis, coronavirus or illness. They haven't decided that just yet. But it could be a total crapshoot. You could have a great team, and then you're going yep. into a big game. Russell yep. Wilson's out Yep, because he's sick. Yep. I mean, imagine yep. the, the impact that this is going to well, have on well, the season. My, well, my question is, is it, and, and this is probably a naive question, and I don't know, and I, I'm telling you, I'm joking that it's apolitically, but, I, but I'm telling you that I don't know the answer. I am torn on the answer. I can tell you I'm scared of getting sick. That's what I can tell you. I can also say to you that if the Seahawks started tomorrow and they allowed some people in, some some media members or people with season tickets, I, I could be both. Yeah. I would not go. I would not. I'd be too scared to go. Sure. 
Does that mean I think they should start playing or stop playing or not play or yes? I don't I don't know the answer, but here's my question. If we're just going to essentially move along and just accept, hey, all these people are going to get sick. I, I first of all, I can't even I can't even conceive of how contagious this must be. It's crazy. Yeah. This is crazy contagious, yeah. okay? But if we're just going to go ahead and just forget it and, hey, life goes on and these kids, will they'll get better and they'll quarantine, whatever. Why didn't we do that with Gobert? We could have been playing all this time. Yeah. We yeah, could well, I mean, why did we why do we back down the hatches when Gobert got sick and now we're just taking it like it's as if nothing's happened between Gobert getting sick and now and, and we're all saying, look, Gobert got sick and nobody else in America got sick and nobody else died. So let's just play. I mean, it's it's not like we haven't had some some rear some real rear let me try it again. <laughs> real catastrophe as we go as we've gone along between Gobert and now. I don't know. Why, why it, are we playing now and didn't play then? When it first started, it was uncharted waters. There was no precedent. So we didn't know. We just said, everyone, stay home, let us figure this out. Shut it down, shut it down, we'll figure it out. And then we sort of started, some people started to make plans. Some state did, are doing this. Other states are doing this. It's just uncharted waters. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. Okay, we so, have no idea. We're so, making it up as we go. All right, so let me ask it to you this way. If Hotshot Scott were in charge <laughs> of everything, you had a little switch right here. And literally, it was the switch. Unless you want different switches for every sport. I don't know if you feel like it should be different per sport. Maybe it should be. But if you had the switch, knowing what you know, hearing what I just told you about the list of athletes that have are, and you got to understand, nobody's even, they haven't even gotten to training camp yet, yeah. and all these people are sick. Uh, well, what's it going to be like when they're in locker rooms at training yeah, camps right. and getting ready? Yeah. Anyway, you were in charge. You either flip the switch down, and that means every, no sports until there's a vaccine or there's more treatment or there's more testing or what have you, or you say... I feel terrible that all these people are sick. I feel terrible that more are going to get sick, but I say life goes on. What would Hotshot Scott do? It's kind of a cop-out answer, but I would surround myself with really smart people who know what they're talking about, and then I'd have well, to get my answer. thank you for inviting me. That's right. You, <laughs> Fauci, you know. It's been said many times. The good ones. What would you do? I would surround myself with smart people and then make my decision. I, part of me doesn't want this economy to, to keep going down the shitter. I don't know if this country can afford it. And I'm not saying sports is a huge part of the economy, but affects a lot of people. It's not everyone's making $35 million a year who are no. involved with sports. No. So do, do we continue to have 40 million people on unemployment? I'll be one in 10 months or 10 months, I wish, 10 days. So do we continue down that path? Can this country survive it? I'm torn. I'm torn between can we continue to shut this down? I don't know. I don't know if we can. I keep hearing about herd immunity. Maybe herd immunity is the way. We take our chances. Sounds kind of morbid, though, doesn't it? Yeah, we take our chances. Ho hope you don't die. Go play football. And if somebody dies? Yeah, it's... Is that, is that, do you think that that's going to change the course? If this isn't changing the course, all these people are yeah. sick. Let's say an offensive lineman, a big guy. I heard on the last show on 90, whatever it was, 96P, that big people, no matter the kind of shape, big people are susceptible to this and will get, might get worse. What if an offensive lineman dies? An NFL offensive right. lineman dies. Right. Will all the sports then shut down like Rudy Gobert? Or will they say, we knew that there was an outside shot of this. We all mourn for the loss. He would want us to continue, so we're going to continue. What happens? It's probably the latter. That's probably what happens. They, they just press on. I mean, 118,000 people have died already, and we're starting to reopen. 
So clearly that's not, you know, that that's not factoring in. And those that support continuing will say, well, that offensive lineman could have gotten hit by a bus. Yeah, or is that offensive line, football or, yeah. that offensive lineman could have, God forbid, gotten cancer and passed away. Yeah. People die in this country. And so we're not going to overreact to one person dying of COVID-19. Uh, it's I gonna, don't know. It's going to be rough. I don't know. If don't that know happens, either. maybe it'll never, hopefully it'll never happen. Yeah. Three interviews and then the other stuff segment? Let's do it. Well, actually, it's four interviews. Three um, interviews of mine and then your interview of Piper. <laughs> That's right. And then the other stuff segment. It's been a couple of shows since we've caught up with the president of Zeke's Pizza. He's on the Zeke's Pizza hotline, and he's Dan Black. Tell me about the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza. How have the last couple of weeks gone, Dan? Um, You know, it's been good. It's been nice to have people back in the restaurants and on the patio as we went into Phase 1.5 and now into Phase 2. What does Phase 2 mean? You went into Phase 2 late last week. What does that mean to Zeke's Pizza? What does that mean to all your clients? It's not a huge change, but it's a good one. The main, well, really the only change for us is is that now dining rooms, they were at 25% capacity uh, in Phase 1.5, so they're now at 50%. Dining rooms are at 50% capacity. Our patios are still at 50% capacity. Still no bar seating. Our dine-in and our patios have been busy since we're released from shelter-in-place, and it'll be nice to be able to have even more people in the dining rooms. Talk about the extra precautions that Zeke's Pizza is taking at these 17 great locations, Dan. Yeah, the main thing is, like I say, capacity on the patios and dining rooms is one thing, but the main thing really is the social distancing that happens in there, and that means... If you're at a counter service place, that means there's always going to be six feet apart while you're in line. But then the main thing with dining is all of the tables are at least six feet apart. And then, of course, we have hand sanitizer for all customers. Uh, All of our employees are in masks. You know, we're following the guidelines really closely and just making sure that it's safe uh, when people come in, but also fun. Talk to me about delivery. How have the numbers been the last few weeks since you guys started opening up restaurants? Yeah, you know, we were wondering if it was going to drop off at all, but it has stayed strong, which is good from us from a business standpoint. You know, we've been talking about beer delivery the whole time, and if anything, that's getting stronger. So, you know, it's been a good couple weeks. And do what President Dan Black does. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. It's very, very simple. We've got it here. In fact... You should know, Dan, that on high school graduation day, Max Levy, I said to him, anything you want, what do you want for dinner? And he said, I want Zeke's pizza delivered for dinner. And that's what we had on graduation night. So we love it here at uh, the Levy household. Dan Black of Zeke's Pizza. Great to have you back, Dan. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Jamal Adams is a really, really, really good player. And so Joe Douglas is going to realize the value of a great safety. Talking about potential teams that I could see make sense and being able to pull this off. The Seattle Seahawks. They don't have a ton of cap hits next year, big contract-wise. It's picked off. They're going to come the other way. And this is Jamal Adams with a block and a pick six. There's Jones. Has it taken away? Jamal Adams. 
Episode 97, and the most intriguing question in the NFL at the moment is, what's going to go down with Jets all-world safety Jamal Adams, who is dissatisfied with his contract situation in New York, has asked the Jets to allow him to pursue trade. He's apparently earmarked seven teams. They are the Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Seattle Seahawks. Dennis Wazak Jr. is an AP pro football writer who has covered the Jets for the last 15 years. He's on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Dennis, thanks for joining us. You got it, Mitch. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Let's check some boxes here so we all understand. A 2017 sixth overall pick out of LSU, three seasons in the league, two Pro Bowls, last year a first-team All-Pro, only 24 years old. Is he the best safety in the game, Dennis? And how much of a difference maker is he in your estimation? I think uh, there's a good argument for his case that he is the best safety in the game because he's not just a safety. He uh, He's used in Greg Williams' defense with the mm-hmm. Jets as almost a almost a hybrid, but he, he's a safety-slash-linebacker, disruptor-slash-playmaker. And <laughs> as you know, if you've got one of those type of guys on your defense, you could do all kinds of things with that player, and that's what he's proven he can do over the last three years, uh, you know, since he came to the Jets, and especially the last couple of years, uh, just really being a guy who makes noise with his play. And, uh, and, and now, now we're seeing some noise off the field as well uh, because of the contract. But, yeah, I mean, it, this is a guy who, who can help change games with his play on defense. All right, so question number two, Dennis. He has two years left on his rookie deal. He obviously wants a new deal. Is this problem purely contractual, or is there something else going on that we need to know about between Jamal Adams and the New York Jets organization? Well, I, I think that's a good question because I think there's both uh, at play here. Um, when you look at what's gone on over the last several months and you consider that Jamal Adams and the team were butting heads back in October when Jamal's name came up in trade rumors and teams called the Jets and Joe Douglas, the GM, fielded those calls and set the price tag so exorbitantly high that there was no way the Jets were going to get what they were asking for, basically a signal that we're not going to deal this guy. But still, Jamal Adams was angry that the Jets just didn't say – there's nothing to discuss here and hang up. Right. So Adams actually did not speak to Joe Douglas or coach Adam Gase for a week because he was so angry. And now you fast forward to the last several weeks where Jamal Adams wanted to renegotiate the deal. He was talking about an extension. Joe Douglas actually right before the draft said that they would revisit things uh, with his contract and talk to his people, Jamal Adams' people, after the draft. Well, as we know, the pandemic and all that, there are other things that have happened, but this really all came to a head on Thursday when Jamal Adams responded to a, uh, a, a comment on Instagram and said, maybe it's time to move on. And then the reports came out, and, and really this is where we're at, that, that not only does he want to be paid – but he's kind of making it clear here that he wants to go somewhere else. And you look at those teams that are on that list that you mentioned, they have something in common. They've all been winners. They've all been uh, regular playoff contenders, and he wants to win. That's what drives this guy. 
You could say the money, but he's also tired of losing. And, yeah. and I think that list makes that clear. Well, Dennis, there's a lot of follow-up questions to what you just said. Let me go back and try to do it off of memory. There, there were two forms, it, it sounded to me like, unless they have not negotiated with him on a long-term deal, it, it sounds like there might be two forms of sticker shock. There was the sticker shock that other teams found when they called originally asking what it would cost to get Jamal Adams. And then when Adams, if Adams and the Jets did indeed get into any kind of conversation on an extension or a new contract, there must have been sticker shock there. Do you have any information that tells you what it was that Douglas wanted originally when teams called like the Dallas Cowboys? That's my first question. And my second question, do we have any idea whether Douglas, after the draft like he promised, got into some sort of conversation with Adams' people? And if he did, what kind of numbers? Uh, obviously, Adams wants to be the highest paid safety in the history of the NFL, right? Right. And, and I think the first uh, question, as far as what the Jets were looking for, reportedly that was a first round and two second rounders. So, I mean, if you're a team and you see that and, and you hear Joe Douglas tell you, hey, this is what we want to make this deal happen. That's something that I don't think any team is really going to consider at that point because that, that's such a high price tag for a great safety, a strong safety. He's not a quarterback. You know, he's not a wide receiver. He's not a cornerback. The guys who, who are considered those kind of playmaking game changers, you know, even though he has shown the ability to do some of those things. I don't think a team is willing to pay that. It'll be interesting to see what the Jets will be asking for with teams calling them now about Jamal Adams. And as far as the talks, that's unclear right now. If Adams and Joe Douglas have had any discussion since then, we haven't spoken to to Joe Douglas since the draft. And, and Jamal Adams has kind of made it clear that he's unhappy with some of the things that have gone on with a lack of communication. I think he, he wrote on Instagram at some point a couple of weeks ago that it's all talk, no action. So I think there's, there's a little bit of distrust in the Jamal Adams camp that, yeah. that what is being kind of floated out there is not really what's going to happen or is happening in Jamal Adams' mind. What are the numbers for an acquiring team if a team should be able to pry him away and give the Jets what they want? What are we talking in terms of salary cap numbers? That's, that's question A, and if, if you can remember to address this one, I, I kind of wonder what kind of leverage, how does a three-year player on a rookie deal get a chance to kind of control what team acquires him? Couldn't the Jets just trade him to any football team and he would be obliged to the end of his rookie deal, Dennis? He would, and, and that's the whole thing here. I think the Jets have all the leverage in this situation because of the, the current contract, the way it is. He's, Jamal Adams is due $3.5 million this year, and next year on a fifth-year option, he's due $9.9 million. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that the Jets could potentially franchise tag him the following year. So we're talking three years, potentially, that the Jets really have control over Jamal Adams' contract. So from the Jets' perspective, they're like, why, you know, why should we do this now, especially given the current climate in terms of finances? We don't know what the salary cap is going to look like next year because of the pandemic and we don't know what's going to happen as far as as uh, revenue losses around the league and if the salary cap is lowered 
all of those things are uncertain. So, so those things are in play as well. When you look at what Jamal Adams wants, now Eddie Jackson at Chicago, he's the highest paid safety. He's $14.6 million a year. So that, that's big money. So you're, you're thinking that, okay, the safety market is probably at least that, probably $15 million. And there's talk that he might want to be even the highest paid jet if he remains in New York, and C.J. Mosley is currently that inside linebacker, seventeen million dollars a year. So, you, so you're looking at something between fifteen and seventeen, and maybe even more. So, a team that acquires Jamal Adams, well, you know, this is big bucks. So, all around, I, I just I don't see where the player in this situation has any sort of control over the situation. The only thing he can do is make a lot of noise by if we do have a training camp by holding out. But I mean, if you're a team right now, like the jets, you ha- you see that control over the next three years. And if you do intend, and I do believe they, w- they do intend to bring him back and to try to negotiate an extension, but they don't want to do it right now because of all the uncertainty over the deal. So the shred of leverage that Adams has, if, if you want to call it that a shred is he has said, I'll tell you what, if you trade me to one of these seven teams, including the Seahawks, I will not ask immediately for a new contract. I'll play under the provisions of this deal, which is the $3.5 million, as you mentioned, for the, for the upcoming season. If you trade me to any of the teams that I have not listed, well, then I'm going to demand an extension right away and threaten to hold out. So that would be the only card in this poker game that he would have to play? Or did I miss that, Dennis? No, I think that's exactly right. I think you, you've, you've nailed it with that because, because yeah, if he wants to be traded and he wants you know, to go to a winner, those are the teams. Now, if he's going to be dealt somewhere that he doesn't want to go, well, he's going to want the money because of, of not going where he's saying he wants to go. So there are a lot of different things here at play. But, yeah, that, that would be the, the card that he would hold right now. And quite frankly, I, I don't know that it's a strong enough card at the moment for him to win in this debate and this situation right now. At, at right now, as far as we don't know. We don't know what this, this whole thing. It's only June, right. you know. Yeah. So this could be played out right. over the next several months. Who knows? Right. All right. So finish up with me, Dennis. Take an educated guess. You don't know Joe Douglas very well because he's new to the Jets in the general manager's role. It sounds to me like the way to play this for him since the the guy is such a young, great ball player is if I'm blown away with an offer, I'll take it. If not, I'm going to insist that Jamal Adams play for the New York Jets under the provisions of his new contract. So the question becomes... What do we define the offer that blows him away as? Does it, does it, it obviously involves first-round draft choices or a first-round draft choice. Does it involve current players? If the Seahawks were to swing a deal, would the Jets want one of the star players of the Seahawks? I think it, it depends on, on the player. Yeah, I, I think so. But I, I think Joe Douglas right now really is looking at picks. I think he's trying to, number one, establish a culture. And we hear that all the time, right, Mitch, like the culture of culture. But I think this is really something that he's trying to do, and he's trying to bring in his guys, the players that that he thinks 
embody the type of a team that he wants to have. Now, he spent so many years in Baltimore and how that organization built into a perennial playoff contender. And he wants to do the same thing here. So I think he's going to, to really want those picks. He's going to want the first rounder. He's going to want a second rounder probably or two third rounders, that sort of thing. The price will be high. Like, there's no doubt. And I just don't know that any team will be willing to pay that. So I would say that the, the better chance is that they stand pat. And then the ball is in Jamal Adams and his team's court right. where they decide whether or not, hey, we're going to hold out and see how this goes. And then you might see something different at the trade deadline where a team really kind of can see him putting them over the hump. And, and we're right back where we were this past October, mm-hmm. you know, and with his name being floated around. And I don't think he'll be upset that it's – you're being bandied about this time around. Great stuff. Dennis Wazak Jr., you can follow him on Twitter. He's an AP Pro Football writer who has covered the Jets for the last 15 years and does a great job. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it. You got it, Mitch. My pleasure. So safety Jamal Adams wants out of New York, but at 24, with two years left on his contract and some more controlling years of the Jets, I just don't see why the Jets would give him away it would take a hell of a deal for any team like the Seahawks to get the services of Jamal Adams. You know, after 25 years of being quiet, all of a sudden he's become a regular guest on Mitch Unfiltered. Here he is, the CEO of Daniels Broiler, Lindsey Schwartz. Lindsey, how'd the first week go at Leshi? You know, it was amazing, just the support from the community and from our loyal guests. It's been incredible. I mean, we, we've had really every seat, you know, under this limited capacity that we can do since the night we opened. Um, and then lots of takeout and delivery, too. So it's been great. Any Vuv Clicquot left? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, we were closed for, uh, what, almost three months. And so we we, uh, we have plenty that we weren't selling at that time. But it's going fast, I'll tell you what. I see it at many of the tables. I see a bottle of Vuv and uh, with lots of the to-go orders since we can sell it to-go now. So that's been a lot of fun to see. $40 bottles, which normally goes... For how much? It's normally 145. I think last week I said 125, but the normal price is 145. So it's a pretty special deal, and uh, we wanted to make it 40 since it's our 40 year anniversary. So that's what we did. Remind us what extra precautions you guys are taking within the restaurant to make this not only a wonderful night out but a safe one too, Lindsay. Sure. I mean, we're following all of the CDC guidelines. We're working with the Washington State Department of Health, so we're doing all the minimum things you need to do, and then we're doing even more. All the social distancing measures, all of the tables, uh, we've pulled tables out, and so all tables are at least six feet apart. Uh, We have stickers on the floor like you see at, you know, grocery stores and other retailers, so when you come to check in, we keep uh, parties checking in at least six feet apart. We have special sanitation measures in place. Every half hour we sweep through the entire restaurant and sanitize all the common area spaces. Obviously, we sanitize each table in between seatings. We're all wearing masks and gloves. 
everything that, that we can do and all the best practices out there, and we've paid attention to what, what restaurants are doing across the country and even around the world, and making sure that, that you know we're doing it up to the gold standard. So, so we feel good about it. And with the successful reopening of Les Shy, I understand that the reality of a return of Lake Union in Bellevue could be coming shortly, right? That's right. We're tentatively shooting for opening Bellevue on June 26th and Lake Union June 27th. So both in the same week. We're really hopeful that we'll be in phase two at that point, and that'll give us more seating, which would help a lot. Uh, so that's the tentative plan right now, and, and uh, it looks really likely that that's when we would reopen those two stores. Which also means delivery on the east side becomes available. That's right. That's right. And based on the success that we're having at Leshai with delivery, uh, it, and we know we're turning people away, or DoorDash is turning people away on the east side. So it seems like uh, there's a lot of demand for that. So we're trying to get that up and going as soon as possible. But yes, we will be open for uh, delivery and takeout. There he is, Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broilers. Finally, some good news along the way with uh, Leshai going strong at 25% inside, 50% outside, and the return coming to the Bellevue and Lake Union locations. Daniel's Broiler, our pals, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Shot clock at nine. Baxter didn't see the ball. Smith trying to drive, goes down. Bias shot it away by Bias. Baxter picks it up, and Len Bias says, I want that ball. Bias stole the ball from Baxter. Eight seconds to go. Gavin to Baxter, and that is an intentional foul. Well, they're trying to foul him again. They didn't hear the whistle. And Len Bias has the biggest smile on his face you have ever seen. And that's it. Maryland has knocked off North Carolina in one of the biggest upsets this year. The Boston Celtics select Len Bias of the University of Maryland. local success story took a tragic turn this morning. Len Bias, the Maryland University basketball star on his way to becoming a world champion Boston Celtic, died of an apparent heart attack today at Leland Memorial Hospital in Prince George's County. Episode 97 continues. You know, this past Friday marked the 34th year anniversary of one of the sad, sad sports days of my lifetime. Less than 48 hours after being drafted by the Boston Celtics with the second overall pick, the incredible Len Bias, Maryland All-American, was gone due to a drug overdose. Longtime college basketball coach, also an NBA scout, Dave Dickerson, had just completed his freshman season in 1986 as a teammate of Lenny's, and he joins us here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline on Mitch Unfiltered. Dave, Thank you for phoning in. It's hard to believe that it was 34 years ago, huh? Thanks, Mitch. I really appreciate you for having me. And um, I really can't believe it's uh, been 34 years. And um, when I did the story for the local paper here in Spartanburg and I saw his number 34 in my mind, I realized it was 34 years since today. So um, really, really difficult uh, day for me and difficult day for the for his teammates and the people around University of Maryland, the state of Maryland. Um, but, um, you know, I think about him every day. Those of us old enough to remember would have bet everything we had that Len Bias would have become 
a transcendent NBA player, Dave. Try to put into words what he was like for the section of our audience that wasn't privileged enough to see him play like you did up close and personal. You know, I, I, I tell people that, uh, you know, I played four years in ACC, the University of Maryland, and I uh, was fortunate enough to go back to Maryland from 96 to 05 and coach and went to two Final Fours and won a national championship. And um, and I've coached at, uh, in the Big Ten at Ohio State, and uh, I've been around the NBA Still, to this day, uh, I haven't played against or seen someone as as good as him um, from a standpoint of a coaching standpoint. He was just poetry in motion. Uh, he was one of the hardest workers I've ever been around. He was a true leader. He was the best player in our program and the best player during that season every time he, he uh, stepped on the floor. 6'8", had a body that uh, still haven't seen a basketball player have, uh, had great hands, had an unbelievable um, jump shot, and he scored uh, over 2,000 points without the three-point line. So you can tell how transcendent he was. And, um, and I really think if he would have played in the NBA, he would have been one of the 50th, 50th best players that ever played. Coach, there's probably people in our audience that didn't see him play that are asking the question, well, if he was so good, if he was transcendent, why wouldn't he have been the number one overall pick that year in 1986? Philadelphia, as I recall, had the number one pick and on the morning of the draft traded it to Cleveland for a bunch of players and Cleveland took Brad Darty, another ACC player, big man out of, out of North Carolina, why wouldn't he be the top choice overall? Well, you know, two things. Back then, the ACC were hands down the best conference in college basketball, hands down, right? Yep. And so um, so he was the two-time ACC player of the year, a consensus. And then, you know, back then, back, back in the 80s, uh, the in vogue thing was to pick a center, right? Because everything was played through in the paint. So everybody always tried to pick the tallest and the best the best center, just like when Michael Jordan came out. Portland chose Sam Bowie. Yeah. We seven one, you know? So that wasn't a mistake of Cleveland. It was just what people did then. The the game was not played the way the game is now. So if the game was played that way now, people will still be taking big guys, but they don't take those guys no more. You knew all about him before you got there. You were a great South Carolina high school basketball player yourself. You had lots of college choices, but you chose Maryland in in part because of number 34. Go back to that decision, Coach. Well, it, it was... Uh... It was a tough decision because I'm originally from South Carolina and I was getting recruited by Clemson and South Carolina, University of South Carolina, for three or four years. So it ended up being a family decision and you got to understand the dynamics of my family. At the time, I had six older sisters and my mom had passed away in, in 1975. And so my sisters were like my role models. They somewhat pushed me to the University of Maryland. Hmm. And um, and then when I went and visited University of Maryland, I loved the Washington, D.C. area because simply because, you know, this was the first time that I ever saw people that looked like me that were in high positions and in high places, you know? Yes. And then when Lenny was my host and I had seen him play for the previous two or three years, it was just one of those things where I couldn't turn down. And just 
being, you know, the old saying that my high school coach used to say, in order to be the best, you have to play against and compete against the best. And at the time, he was the best. What was that one year like where you overlapped with Len Bias? You guys played in the NCAA tournament. I think you got to the second round. The highlight of the year probably was going to Chapel Hill and beating number one North Carolina in their place, right? Obviously, we had a lot of highlights that year, but that was the the highlight that was on the national stage because uh, at that time, the Dean Dome was a new facility and they hadn't lost a game. And we were coming in not playing well as a team, and we needed a win, and we needed a win like that on the road to boost our NCAA resume. And then LB, he just went crazy. You know, 35 points and probably double-figure rebounds and just had one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen. And he really took the game over against uh, great players. You know, North Carolina had Warren Martin, had Brad Doherty, they had uh, Steve Hale, they had Kenny Smith. Uh, they had some really, really good players, but he was head and, head and shoulders above all those guys and what he did for those um, 40 minutes. And um, so that was one of the games that, since we've been in this pandemic, I've watched that game again. Oh. And um, and the, the one thing I was pissed about was that <laughs> the shot that Jeff Baxter uh, made to send the game into overtime, that was supposed to be my shot. Uh, <laughs> but, but Keith Gatlin, uh, I guess I can say now he made uh, a good decision by not throwing it to me. Uh, but uh, that was my one shot at being uh, famous, you know? Oh, no. You had a great career at the University of Maryland. You would become, I believe, a captain. and played uh, a terrific role in Maryland. I want to talk about those three years after Lenny passed away. Before we get there, I, I know it's tough for you to put into words what those 48 hours were like. Let's start with the, the night he's drafted. Your teammate, Coach, your teammate is drafted number two overall by the legendary Boston Celtics. I remember the grin. I told you before we started that I was there that night in the Felt Forum in New York. I was an, an intern, and I was there covering the NBA draft, and I was just a couple of rows right behind Len Bias. I can remember it's ingrained in my mind, the smile and the Boston Celtics hat that was on a little crooked I can remember that that image. I have it with me. What do you remember about that night and the time and the celebration after he uh, he was he was chosen? Well, he was such a transcendent person, player, and teammate, and so we all were together that night watching the draft. And when he got drafted, everyone knew in that room his teammates and everyone within the program knew he wanted to go to Boston. And he wanted to play for the Boston Celtics. And just to see that come true, it was one of those moments that uh, I'll never forget. I mean, I know he and his family were excited, but you couldn't tell me at the time that we were, we were not more excited than they were. And so it was just one of those things where it was so much pride just to see him get what he wanted because he'd worked for it and, and he deserved it. And so as the story goes... He and his family or he and his dad go up to Boston to celebrate with the Celtics after the draft, and he comes back, and and there's some partying the night, the awful night, and I know that I read the piece in the local paper where you are, some of your words. Um, recall for our audience, 
I guess you had gone to that same party and you were a part of that celebration but left early. Speak to us about that if you don't mind. Well, he, he and his father returned to Maryland, and um, and he was home for a little bit with his family. Then he came back on campus to be with his boys and, and be with his teammates. And, uh, that, you know, that's what you expected of him. And when the word got out that he was back on campus uh, and that they were going to have somewhat of a party, everybody was over there, the whole team what was over there it was a big party before we left that it got even bigger after we left but uh, we had the whole team over there and we were just celebrating our role model our um you know our guy that we looked up to that year had fulfilled his dreams and um but it was getting late and obviously when we were there it was very uh, it was very contained and tame party and so when we we had an eight o'clock class the next day all the underclassmen we, we were in summer school we had class so we uh, left the party uh, at a decent time and and uh, went back to our dorms prepare for our eight o'clock class and um, six o'clock that morning we got just these big bangs at the door from one of our teammates, uh, David Gregg, who was at the party and was in the room with Lenny, telling us that we all had to come because they were rushing him to the hospital. And so we all jumped in our car, not knowing what has trans- transpired in the dorm or in the early early mornings, and we just followed the ambulance to uh, Leland Memorial Hospital, which was about five miles away from campus. And... Um, after being there for about 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour, we got the sad news that he had passed away. When were you told that it was a drug overdose, Dave? After being there for about an hour and um, and going through what had happened, because there was only two of our teammates that was in the room with him at the time. It was David Gregg and, and Terry Long, and those guys were there in, in the waiting room with us. And um, we started asking a series of questions like what happened why are we here why he's why is he in there you know and um and we finally got an answer uh late uh, before we before we got the news that he had passed away uh what transpired and what they were doing and what happened so you know it was one of those things where you know you're you're going through so many different emotions and then when you find out what transpired actually it sent you down another avenue because um when you make bad mistakes sometimes you don't pay for them but he paid for it with his life how surprised were you when you heard of of cocaine being involved well you got to believe mitch now i'm from a small town in south carolina it's Mm -hmm. about i looked at on wikipedia two weeks ago it was 273 people there And, and so, so I'm by nature, I'm, I'm a country boy from a small town, uh, a small town. And so I, I didn't know anything about drugs. I didn't know anything about cocaine and uh, hair and all that stuff. And, and, and so I was shocked. And to this day, I'm 53 years old and I'm still shocked that someone like him would do that. But now that I've lived my life and know what transpired in the NBA during the 80s and the, in the early 80s and the mid 80s and then what, what was happening in the world, I'm not as naive, but I'm still shocked. Do you think in the bottom of your heart that this was going on all year or in previous years and you just didn't know about it? You were sheltered from it, coach? And you know what? That could be true. And that definitely could be true. But 
I was with him from June until until he died. Okay, and so I never saw him do anything remotely as far as abusing drugs. And so, uh, matter of fact, I, I don't think I've ever seen him drink. He could have because he was a senior and he was uh, All-American. He was the best player in college basketball, the best player in the draft. And he had a separate social life than the younger guys. But I'd, I'd never seen that. And I, and I had no reason to expect that as well. Before I finish up with you and ask you, when you think of Len Bias, what what comes to mind in terms of the memories? I want to, for our listeners who don't remember or don't know, I want you to, to the best of your ability, tell them the kind of turmoil that you, you were a freshman, you had just finished your freshman season, the kind of turmoil that was left for you and your team and Coach Lefty Drizel and the program, the residue of this over the next three years, it must have been very difficult on young student athletes like yourself, Coach. Well, that's true, and, and 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 you did a good job of building that up in the sense that there are a range of emotions, right? And uh, because we lost everything, I lost a coach that recruited me uh, because uh, um, he resigned or got fired during that summer. We lost. I lost my role model, my mentor, and we had lost our teammate. So uh, there, there were nothing that could happen that could take place of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so because of the sanctions and um, Coach Rizal being fired and some other things that came out during that time, we kind of lost our team and lost our culture and lost our way. You know, we kind of lost our brand as far as Maryland basketball being one of the best basketball jobs on the East Coast. And those last three years were hell. I mean, it it was tough. And um, it was really tough. It was difficult because we could never escape it, right? Some good things have come out of that as though, you know, I met my wife uh, at the end of my junior year, at the end of her freshman year, she was a Maryland grad and we're still married and have a 19 year old son, right? And we were married for 21 years. And I was one of the fortunate ones. I was able to go back there in 1996 to be an assistant coach. And why that was such a big deal to me because the day that I'd interviewed for the job, which is June 19th, 1996. And so it was one of those things to where I had a chance to redeem myself. I went to Maryland because I thought out of all the schools that were recruiting me, I could win a national championship there. Fast forward, uh, going back there as an assistant coach, I was able to, to coach in two Final Fours and win a national championship. I don't look at it as all negative. I, I look at it as, you know, three years of hell, right? But I was able to redeem myself, and I got a beautiful family out of this situation. Uh-huh. So if I, if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have what I have right now. Did you ever think about leaving when all the controversy was dumped upon the program? You could have probably left and transferred and gone to play somewhere else. Yeah, I wanted to leave. But my father drove up to Maryland with a good friend of his a couple of days after that happened, and he you know, locked the door of the room and, and looked at me dead in my eyes and said, hey, Dave, were you in that room that night? And I said, no. And he said, are you using drugs? And I said, no. And I said, wait a minute, Dad, by the way, I want to transfer. I want to leave because I don't think that I can deal with everything that's transpired, you know? And he says, son, let me tell you something. If you start something, you're going to finish it. And then he left out, closed the door, and they drove back to South Carolina. 
at that time, my father was was everything to me. And he was right. If you started something, you finished it. And that order or that demand really changed my life. Because if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be where I am right now, and I wouldn't have what I have right now. Dave, you're so kind to join us. You said in that local newspaper story, the way that Len Bias died from a cocaine overdose and the kind of person he was are two totally different things to me. There is nothing in my mind, my body, my soul that thinks of him in any negative way. Those are wonderfully moving words, and they're the words that prompted me to call your SID to ask you to be on our show. Expand upon that for me as we finish up, if you would. Just like you said, when I talk to people sometimes, they look at me like I'm crazy by saying that, but he had such an effect on my life, and and even the negative effect made me who I am right now. There's nothing in, in my life that will let me look at him as the person how he died. I'm, I'm focusing on all the good things. And he was the hardest worker, the best teammate, the best program guy. He and Coach Giselle had an unbelievable relationship. And it's one of those things that as a coach now, you look for in your best player. And he was all of that. And I look at what we had at Maryland when I was there coaching as assistant coach. Like Juan Dixon was our best player. And Juan Dixon had a checkered pass of his parents dying of AIDS but he and Gary had a relationship that no one could understood understand at the time and Juan ended up being our best player and led us to winning a national championship so I would never look at him negative negatively I would never talk to my son about him in a negative tone and I look at all the good things that he's done for me and what the good things he's done for the University of Maryland when he was there. The terrific Dave Dickerson. He was a teammate of Len Bias. He was a freshman when Lenny was a senior. Reminiscing about what happened 34 years ago this past Friday. Dave, thank you. Thank you so much. The head coach of USC Upstate in South Carolina and a great member of the basketball fraternity for all of these years. Thank you so much for joining us with some of these words on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, sir. Mitch, thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. Yep, June 19th, 1986, 34 years ago, one of the real sad days in sports history, the loss of Len Bias just 48 hours after he was drafted by the Boston Celtics to a cocaine overdose. It's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen, to be joined by Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. What kind of business are you guys doing? You know, Mitch, it is just incredibly busy right now, both with uh, refinances and rates staying low, uh, as well as the purchase market is actually really heating up right now. Talk to me more. Tell me about that purchase market. Yeah, it is a great time uh, to be a seller. Home prices continue to actually rise. Uh, Every client I'm working with right now seems to be going in on multiple offers, which means for sellers, they're getting lots of offers and price escalations. So anybody out there that was thinking of selling, uh, we work with some of the top agents in the Seattle market, would be happy to connect you with them. But it is a great time for people to be selling right now. And so if I'm buying or if I'm looking for a refinance, the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage, are you guys now in the offices? Where do I call? How do I find you? What do I do? Same uh, bad channel. We are in the office. All of our loan officers are coming in and are in on a weekly basis. So you can get a hold of myself or anybody in the office to talk about rates. It is uh, quick and painless. 
probably about five minutes of just information gathering and giving you an idea of what might work. For buyers, it's more of a consult and figuring out what your strategy is and what you're trying to achieve, whether it's their primary residence or another home in Washington. So great time to be looking at buying with the Fed keeping rates low through potentially 2022. What are we looking at now? For 30-year fixeds? Just depending on all the scenarios, you're looking high twos, low threes for the most part. Cash out refinances might be a little higher, but it's a great time and low interest rates for sure. What's the phone number? Office line is 425-250-3145 or 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers and his all-star team at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. They're really ramping things up as interest rates are down. Uh, Selling opportunities are up. uh, Refinance opportunities are up. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. There's a fundamental basic thing that you should be doing is don't throw all caution to the wind so that you can open up and help the economy by getting jobs back and doing things like that. But that doesn't mean that you walk around without a mask, that you jump into a crowd, that you stop washing your hands, that you stop doing the things that are important. Episode 97 continues last week after Max graduated from high school. We set up a Zoom call with the grandparents and the uncles and the aunts. And my wife sent a package to all the participants with instructions not to open until the conference call began. Turns out she had ordered everyone coronavirus face masks with the UW design to celebrate Max's next stop. I'll tweet out a picture of everyone on the Zoom call with their UW masks on. They are the creation of Gabby Weeks. And since I've never received more compliments over something I was wearing... I thought we'd invite Gabby on Mitch Unfiltered. All the way from Boise, Idaho, here she is, Gabby Weeks on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, Gabby? Hey, Mitch. How's it going? (laughs) It's going well. Thanks for asking. But this is quite a sensation. I've got to hear your story behind all of this. Well, I'm an elementary school teacher, but I always make things like I'm the friend all my friends call when they need like a decoration or something made. And with coronavirus, I had a girlfriend who was desperate for masks and she couldn't find any. I mean, I'm sure you experienced everything being sold out, including masks. And I'm really good at sewing. So she gave me a call and I made masks for her whole family. And then it kind of snowballed. I started offering them to free for free to everyone I knew through social media and my home state, California. Here in Idaho, and I probably gave away like 200 masks for free, <laughs> and then um, I ran out of sewing supplies. So I started having to sell them, and I set up an Etsy store, and it just kind of blew up from there. I had a friend request some UW masks for her family. She's a big Huskies fan, my friend Katie, and yeah, the rest is history. It's been crazy. I've been sending masks all over the country. It's been real fun. Wow! So one by yeah. one, you make this by hand. How how long does it take you to make each? each mask? Well, I have a tiny bit of help. My husband and my dad actually are my biggest helpers. They cut all my fabrics for me now because I've gotten so many orders, but it probably takes me 15 to 20 minutes per mask, uh, depending on what I put on them. You know, I customize everything and I let everyone choose what they want. So it it takes a while, but it's worth it. I work a lot of late hours right now (laughs) trying to get them all done. Wow. So can you give us an idea of the different masks that you've sent out and who's the most popular and what you're sending out and some of the ideas? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I um, 
you Husky fans, you really come in strong. I think I've made more Husky masks in the past month than any other kind of mask, for sure. Uh, I make a lot of, like, American flag ones. Those are really popular right now, and just a lot of cute, like, floral ones. Like, part of the problem was you couldn't find any cute masks around. They all kind of looked boring or drab. So I have a lot of cute fabrics I make, but U-Dub's big, and then I have a lot of family in Tennessee. So University of Tennessee, the orange and white, the volunteers, that's been really big, too. I've been making a lot of those. So how does it work? I can get any, you'll do any team, any school. How about professional teams? What about trademarks? How do, do we just go to, do we go to Etsy and find you? You'll tell us how to, how to find you, but give us an idea of how the whole ordering process works. Sure. So you can, we, I usually message back and forth with people. So of course there's trademarks and I'm respectful of those as much as I can be. And I try to find a lot of licensed fabric. So it's hard to find fabric these days, but you know, Boise state has a lot of popular licensed fabrics. I can get those, a lot of Utah teams. Um, and then some of them, I have a silhouette vinyl machine where I can make my own heat transfer vinyl and I can draw them. So I have some apps where I can draw the labels and the logos and make those myself. So they're, they're pretty close to what you'd get if you went into like a student store, but um, you message me on Etsy and I try to make it as best I can, as fast as I can. Okay. Explain that to me. Cause I don't use Etsy. E T S Y. Where do we go? If somebody in our audience wants you to do a U-dub a mask for them or wants you to do a, a mask of their favorite team or their favorite college or maybe something else, maybe with their kids on, I don't know. Um, tell tell, yeah, tell them where to go. I've a lot of small businesses too. Um, okay. I have friends who are estheticians or own bakeries and I've made masks for their whole staff, oh. which has been really fun. Um, so you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. It's Charmed by Gabrielle. And then on Etsy, you can message me there and order. And they have a little messaging box where you can message the seller and we just chat about what you're looking for. And of course, people are pretty familiar with like how Facebook and Instagram work. You could just send me a message there and we can get in touch that way too. Okay. So you go to Etsy.com and you type into the box Charmed by Gabrielle. That'll take them to your page and allow them to communicate with you. How long does it take and what is the cost? Is there a standard price or is it based on how long it takes you to make up the mask? So I have a few different options for the team ones, like for the UW masks. I usually turn those around in two to three business days, sometimes faster. I like to make a lot in advance. And um, you could just message me there and we send it out that way. I have other masks where they're just plain fabrics and those, again, two to three, pretty much everything's two to three days. I ship them out really quickly and I just make them here in house. So I think that answered your question. Right? I, think, I think what I'm feeling is, is that the first ever Mitch unfiltered coronavirus mask is about to be produced. I'm going to have to get oh, a yeah. Mitch. Yeah. We got to do a Mitch unfiltered mask that I can walk around in and I'll kind of alternate it between my U-Dub mask and my Mitch unfiltered mask, right? I think that's an awesome idea. Yeah, if there's a business, a lot of business owners, they just email me or send me a message and we come up with bulk orders and we get those done too. But I think Mitch Unfiltered sounds awesome. We could totally do that. And, and what do I do? I, I send you my, my, my artwork, my logo's artwork, mm -hmm. and then you take it on from there? Is that the way it works? That's it. And I can do multiple colored logos um, with my vinyl machine and 
Wow. My hand iron. I got a lot of miles on my iron right now. This is amazing. <laughs> and you just send me your logo and what colors you're looking for, what sizes you're looking for. We have three different sizes. The masks I make are really nice because I can either make them two layer or three layers, and they're all washable, reusable, and last a really long time, which will get us through the foreseeable future. Sounds like <laughs> this is amazing. You're an element. What what kind of what kind of school do you teach, and what kind of what kind of subject do you teach? I taught fifth grade for fifth a really grade. long time, so. Uh, uh, I'm taking a little break from teaching this year, but school's fun. School's a great experience, and I love teaching, so maybe I'll go back one day. We'll see. Does this become everything now? I mean, is Gabrielle, is Gabby Weeks's career and life changing with the corona masks? I mean, whose life hasn't changed recently, right? Right. But uh, I actually, I manage an office from home, so I work in the evenings and afternoons now. Um, I'm taking a little break from teaching, but I did it for a really long time up until this year. And, um, yeah, so I work, and then this is what I do in the evenings, and I'd really love for it to be Gabby Weeks full-time, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Fingers crossed. Okay. Charmed by Gabrielle. You go to Etsy.com, which is E-T-S-Y.com. And then click mm-hmm. on the box and and go to Charmed by Gabrielle. That'll take them to you. And then you can communicate. Our listeners can communicate with you. And you'll make anything that they, they want to. Typically, how much are these things going to cost, would you say? What's the range? So for uh, like a single mask for like a logo U-Dub, I think I charge twelve ninety nine, And then I have a family bundle of the other masks where you get four for $30. So if you have a family and you need to buy, you know, masks for your kids, your wife, your husband, whoever, uh, you could do those plain bundles too. And that's a really nice value. What happens if you get inundated with orders? How, how, do you, how, in, how in the world are you going to be able to do this when you're doing them one by one? I don't get it. This is incredible. I guess I'll have to... I guess I'll have to give my dad and husband a raise and give them some more chocolate and <laughs> caffeine to get them through the night. <laughs> but we're making it work. Okay, what kind of mask is, is Gabby Weeks wearing when she goes out? That's what I want to know. Oh, I am wearing a Rifle Paper Company fabric, so really pretty floral. And then when I'm wearing my sports, um, I hate to break it to you guys, but I'm a, I'm a Boise fan, so I'm wearing my BSU mask. <laughs> We took your coach from you for a while. You know that, right? You know, I'm new to Boise, but I'm a big sports fan, so I'm learning. I'm more of a pro sports fan. I listened to your podcast yesterday, actually, just oh. to get a feel, and I was really excited because I love, I love me some football and pro sports, but um, I'm learning more about BSU as I stay here longer. <laughs> Can you do Seahawks? Can you do NFL teams or no? Is that not allowed? Um, I haven't yet. I'm, I don't think it is. So I'm, I'll have to look into that a little more. If okay. anyone wants one, you can message me, but I'm not sure. I okay. think that's a little more tricky. <laughs> okay. So for now, college teams, college mascots, college logos, or your own personal businesses or anything like that, yeah. you're, you're, you're yep. all ears and you're ready, to, you're ready to attack it. You're ready to dive in. Totally. My sewing machine's ready and revved up to go. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Go to Etsy.com, Charmed by Gabrielle. You can also find her on, on Twitter. She does a great job. All of the Levies now have U-Dub coronavirus masks that we wear. We love them. They're comfortable. We've already washed them. And so everything is great on our end, and we thank you so much. I know that you probably got a few orders when my picture was, was posted on Twitter. I think people just I like. Did. I think people just like it because it covers my face. I'm getting a complex about all this. No, 
it's a great looking mask, though. I was so excited to see it. I it, like totally made my day, and the past couple days have been really fun. And I appreciate the support so so much. Uh, you guys have no idea. Thanks, Gabby. The best to you and your family. I hope you're well in Boise. We'll send a lot of business your way. Thank you for being on Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. Take care. Gabby Weeks. Charmed by Gabrielle on Etsy. If you're looking for a face covering, you want to go out and be extra safe and you want your favorite college football or basketball team, Gabby's the one for you. Just go to Etsy and look for Charmed by Gabrielle. On the phone with the amazing Mitch Unfiltered partner, Evergreen Golf Call CEO, Tyler Hay. Tyler, haven't visited in a while. How are you guys at Evergreen doing through this whole mess? Mitch, we're doing great. Thanks for asking. I've kind of lost track of the, the days, though. Is it like May 97th or 98th? <laughs> I'd imagine that with the stock market slowly recovering and interest rates down, that there are some opportunities that have arisen for your team and your team's clientele. Certainly, Mitch, when the market was down 37 from its peak, there were some really good opportunities. Today, I think that what people are kind of Um, adjusting to is a new reality when they think of investing. You know, for the last 10 years, we've been in a bull market and my five-year-old could have made money by just picking stocks. And now I think that people are having to be a little bit more thoughtful about, do I want to own airlines? Is it an opportunity? Is it a risk? Do I want to own casinos or hospitality companies? And then you think about, you know, how the tech sector looks relative to some of those other ones. And you you might be deciding that just buying the S&P 500 and not worrying about what stocks are in it. I think that that might be kind of an old way of thinking and people are adjusting to this new way. Okay, so I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener and I want to learn more about Tyler Hayes' team at Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler, what would you say is the best way to do that? They can go to our website at evergreengk.com and there's two resources there that I think would be most helpful. We write a weekly news newsletter and it takes a lot of time, but it really does a good job at kind of conveying our thoughts on the market and our outlook and that's available for free. And then There's also a financial personality assessment that we have on our website that allows clients to kind of tell us who they are, what are their investment preferences, and engage us that way. Hey, Tyler, thank you so much for being a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get on the link soon. (laughs) Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. From the Soden House for the first ever father-daughter segment <laughs> on the old Mitch Unfiltered podcast. And we wanted to just have a couple of minutes with you and I because I am your father. You are my son. So, I, oh, sorry, you are my daughter. And so we just want to talk about what it's like, what it's like having Hotshot Scott. That's right. I make you call me that, don't I, around the house? Yes. Every day. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. Uh, what's it like having me as as your father? And by the way, this is Piper. Piper, yes. Hello, introduce yourself. Hello. Well, <laughs> I'm Piper, and my dad is Hot Child Scott. That's right. The funny part <laughs> about this was when I brought the idea up that, that Mitch suggested we talk for a couple of minutes, the whole time you're saying, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Meanwhile, you talk my ear off. <laughs> you're relentless when it comes to talking, whether we're in the car, watching a show. You can't stop talking. So then I turn this on. And it's giggle, it's quiet, it's shy. What gives? What gives? I'm not shy. Okay, good. I hope you're not. I'm not. Okay. So let's talk about quickly, is there anything you can think of 
positive that, that maybe I've taught you as a father? Have I been doing my job correctly as a dad? Anything you can take with you at 11, 11 years old, or anything I can, you can take with you in life, at least at this point? Because well, I'm actually saving all my good stuff for when you're like 17, 18. <laughs> but have I taught you anything now at 11? Well, I guess about that you're good. You're like better than mom about like... Uh-oh, this is going to get ugly already. Go on. <laughs> no, like try, telling me that I need to like do stuff for myself, you know? Okay. Like if mom does stuff for me, you're you tell her like no. Oh, I see. Giving you a little more independence. Yeah. And saying no, let her do that. Okay. Well, yeah, and I think in mom's defense, and probably a lot of mom's defense, they just have trouble letting go of their little baby. Yeah. It's hard for her. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're 11 years old, and my wife, Megan, still puts toothpaste on your toothbrush for you and sets it out for you. Well, still. But I tell her not to, but you she do. keeps doing No, it. I know. You don't. You, I tell her. But it's hard for her. Yeah. She. I don't know how old you were. She might still pick out your clothes. No, she does. I pick out my clothes. You put your foot down on that? Well, oh, yeah. You had I, to put, that's been you had to put your foot down, to. and that foot was you. <laughs> I okay. said no more. Animal House reference, you wouldn't get it. Anyway, all right. So, yeah, I, I think that's where it comes from with me. I'm just, maybe I just, you know, I'm kind of lazy. Like, I don't know, do it yourself. Yeah, what do I care? Yeah, you like, whatever. I think part of it, too, is it's tough because you went to school where your mom works. Yeah. So you're sort of a reflection of her. Mm -hmm. If you show up to school looking like Punky Brewster, another 80s reference you don't get, but just mismatched colors and looking crazy, it sort of reflects on she's her. She's like, she's come to me. I remember one time I like didn't brush my hair, forgot to brush my teeth one time, and I went to school. She literally came into my classroom to take me. She brought a brush and <laughs> brought it out of my classroom. Had me brush my hair. She just cares how you look, and she cares about you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was really funny, though. All right, so I'll give you a little more independence. Yes. All right, is there anything that may embarrass you? <laughs> Lots of things. You've told me a few. Yes. Go, go on. Let, okay. let, the, let the listeners in on what might embarrass you about me. Well, one of the things is where we live, there's a park across the street, and that's where I go. There's a lot of fifth graders in my neighborhood, so I go hang out with them, you know, and I'll be over there, and then he'll just start playing like guitar or drums and music super uh, loud. Now, to be fair to me. <laughs> um, be fair to you. <laughs> I, yes, I, I do do that. Mm -hmm. But before you were born, I was we were in the same house, and I really got a kick out of playing drums and guitar as loud as I could, to, and people at the park would just clear out. I like it when it's other people. Oh, when it's and not your I'm friends. Over there with gotcha. Because you've actually been done that with me. Oh yeah. Like you, you sit on the drums, you play a beat. Uh -huh. I'll play electric guitar. Yeah. And then we'll just clear the park out. And it always makes me laugh yeah, yeah. for some no, reason. I like to do that just not when. Okay, so what's the difference then with your friends? Why why are they embarrassed? Well, or why is that embarrassing for you? Because they're like, oh wow, that's like who's doing? Is that? it annoying? It well, doesn't sound good when I'm playing Highway to Hell by ACDC. They don't love it. Eleven year olds. <laughs> well, it's just kind of I don't know. It's just kind of embarrassing because right. like asking me, is that you? And I have to blame it on my neighbors. That's true. Last time, <laughs> last time she came running in, tears in her eyes, yelling at me to turn everything off, and then announced to me that. She had to tell her friends uh, that was some neighbor guy doing it. She yep. couldn't even say it was her dad because it was that embarrassing. It was, yeah. All right. So embarrassing things. There's plenty. We won't we won't get too much further into it. But one topic that's come up on the show a few times is you and a cellular phone. Yes. Which you don't have. I do not have. But I did just find my mom's like old iPhone. Six. It's a five, I think. It's pretty no. old. It's it's one that's like the size of a Tic Tac box. It's small. I cracked the screen in London. It's yeah. awful. It barely works. You can't, I mean, it doesn't keep a charge. No. So people want to know, where are you with the phone thing? Like, when do you think you should get one and how badly do you want one? Oh, I would, I was, I said I would pay for one, but mom still does not let me even pay for it. Well, it's less about the money at this point. It's more about like losing it. Correct. I have to say, as my one and only and my favorite out of all the kids, I don't know. <laughs> 
how long you'll keep it without losing it. I have to be honest with you. That scares me a bit. Well, I've been trying. Explain to me and all the listeners why you won't lose it. Go. Okay. I will not lose it because I, like, I will keep a lot of, like, I will keep track of it. I'll keep it in my pocket because I don't want to lose it either. It's, I don't want to because then I will lose it. You know, I won't get another phone. Okay. So I really want it and I want to be able to just text people whenever. So I think I would not lose it. Like, I trust myself. I would put it in my pocket. I would keep it there the whole okay. time. Okay. I trust myself. You do? Yes. All right. Now, when do you think you should get one? Three years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> now, do you have any friends that don't have them? No. <laughs> you don't like, have none any? None of my friends. I can't think of any. You really can't think of one friend? I can think of one that didn't used to have one. Who? She's on your basketball team. Her name is Mia. No, she just got one. She just got one. I know. I, I know. found out yesterday, so I think, my, I think I, you're it. I am. I'm like the only person. Yep. You're the last of a dying breed. You're the last one to not have one. I know. I'm like the only one. Okay. Here's yeah. here's the issue. You love being on screens just like I do. I'm no role model. Don't look at me. I'm on my phone all the time. Yeah. I know that. I love video games. I love all that. Yeah. How are we going to keep you off the screen? I know Mitch talks about it too. He's got a 14-year-old and an 18-year-old and it's video games, it's phone, it's, yeah. it's everything. Computer. So how are we going to keep you from sticking that up to your face 24 hours a day? Well, I think it's helping. It's becoming having more I've been becoming more friends with people in my neighborhood so I've been spending a lot of time outside and usually I wasn't really as close with the people in my neighborhood so then I didn't really go out that much but now I'm gonna be out a lot more so I won't have time to just be sitting around the house okay so so basically so Piper doesn't go to school in the neighborhood she lives in she goes to Issaquah we live in Snoqualmie because her mom works there so she's not super close to the kids in the neighborhood but that's starting to change a bit and you think that you'll go outside more I have been. Yeah. You have been. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you've been quarantined, so there's not much to do. So yeah. I understand the screen thing. Mm-hmm. When basketball starts back up, and by the way, basketball has started up. Or well, We're going to wrap this up in just a second, but basketball started up. Mm-hmm. Everybody on the team is in. All 13 girls have decided to play. Their parents are letting them. Mm-hmm. We decided to let you play because you would have been the only one who didn't. How do you feel going back? Are you nervous? Well, I There's mean, no right or wrong answer. I'm, I'm nervous, so... Yeah, you know. I would say a little bit because... I'm worried about, a little bit worried about, like, you know, being that close to people. And I'm worried that we're not going to be able to get a full type of practice that my team is usually used to because they're not going to be able to be as, like, playing as much one-on-one and right. that stuff. But you're going to play games at some point. I know. So how's that going to work? I don't know. Are you guys it's... all going to have, like, lucite boxes around you, like, <laughs> glass boxes? Know, or right? Like, yeah. Shuffle. I don't know how that's going to work. So you're feeling okay? Or you feeling? You said you're feeling a little, little nervous. A little bit, but I'm fine, you know? I'm excited. You're excited about it? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, it'll be nice to get back to some sort of normal. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, this has been Scott and Piper live from the closet. <laughs> we had to go in the closet because it sounds so echoey everywhere else in our house. Yeah. So I hope this has sounded okay. Happy Father's Day to me. You Feel free to say it if you'd like. Happy Father's Day. What? You can say Happy Father's Day to me if you oh, like. Oh, yeah. Happy okay, Father's that's right. Day. It's tomorrow because we're recording. As we record this, it's tomorrow. Yeah. So for those of you listening, I hope you had a great Father's Day. Mm-hmm. I hope this didn't bore everybody to death. <laughs> Just wanted to have a little conversation with my one and only child, Piper. Yeah. Kind of get a feel of what it's like to be the daughter of Hotshot Scott. But by the way, don't Google me, please. No, you don't want to do that. And don't go back and listen to old T-Man shows. You're too I young. have Googled you. I know. Please don't. All right. We got to go. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Unfiltered. Episode 97 continues with the uh, the other stuff segment. I'm sitting across from the schwitzing Star Wars shirt wearing <laughs> right. father of the year. I have malaria. 
you know, I want to go back to what everybody just heard if they did listen and didn't fast forward to you and Piper. Okay. 11 years old. Sounds like she's like 25. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. And I was asking this question before we started to record. You are now that family. You are now that father. You are now that family that has the daughter, the last of the 11-year-olds to get a cell phone. Yes. And it's kind of sad, actually. She found an old cracked iPhone 5 at our yeah, house, yeah. charges it up, carries yeah. it around, loves it. I mean, it's just, now it's getting kind of sad. When I go back and I remember Max and Brett being at that age and their friends starting to get cell phones, here's the way I approach this. Okay. I was always, and I, I think Sharon the same, we were always, well, we don't want to be the first. We don't want to be that that group. Yeah. We don't want our kids to be that guy, the first to get a cell phone. Yeah, she had friends in first grade who had phones. Right. Yeah. And we also didn't want to be the last. We, don't, we didn't want to be those parents either. <laughs> yeah. The last. Everybody else has got one mom, and, <sighs> we're, the, and we're, we're the last. So we wanted to be somewhere in the middle, like somewhere near the middle. That was our strategy. You have become, like it or not, <laughs> that parent. There was- now, I asked you when you were walking up. Actually, I asked the kids in front of you. Yeah. Is that a badge of honor or a badge of embarrassment? Is it a badge of honor to be the parents of the last kid of his or her age group to get a cell phone? Is that a badge of honor? Or should you be a little ashamed that you, you held out as long as you did? And is it you? You're, what's the percentage? Is it 50-50 you and your wife? Is it 51% her, 49%? The reason that, that Piper doesn't have a cell phone. It's probably 60 her, 40 me. I would say. Oh, it's 60 mom. Yeah, probably mom a little is sick. More. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. It's, it's, keep going higher. She, higher. she has, <laughs> it's, it's all her. She's the worst. Wait till, wait till stepmom. You're going to love her, Piper. She's going to give you everything you want. <laughs> but her face is on an iPod, or an iPod, an iPad all the time. She yeah. loves it. I mean, but I'm no role model. I'm on my phone all the time. Right. So I can just imagine what it's going to be like when she can just take her phone and go in her room. I'll never see her again. See, I think, I don't think it's a badge of honor. I hate to tell you. You you look you look like you think it's a badge of honor. Uh, you yeah. want to be that parent, the last to get a phone. Yeah, but now I'm starting to kind of feel because I the very kinda. last the very You're last just girl, now kind of starting to feel. Yeah, just now. But the very last girl that happened to drop something off at our house two days ago on the porch. She was your last known she survivor. Last I opened the door. <laughs> hey, thank you. She says, I got a phone. She's like twisting it in the, up in the air. She was Mia was that, my last hope. Uh, now she's got and one. Once Mia got one, yeah. now Piper's the last. Yep. Well, there should be some sort of a rule, don't you think? That, okay, if you are those parents <sighs> and your kid is the last... Once she becomes the last and the second to last gets one, Mia, in this case, yeah. is there some sort of like a statute that says, okay, okay, you, you, you've won or lost. Okay, she's the last one. But once she's the last one, doesn't she immediately qualify for a, a phone? Like, shouldn't she get one the next day once she's the last to get one? Well, I remember. Should she have to now wait another six weeks, another year? I do remember you saying have her call Uncle Mitchie. So oh. I'm still sort of wondering if that's going to happen or not. Ah, Uncle Mitchie. I see. No, Uncle yeah. Mitchie needs to. Uh, <laughs> does she want the latest and greatest in technology? Oh, of course. I mean, who doesn't? Can't you? Sw- and I asked you this before. Can't you switch car- carriers from whatever you are to a new carrier, and they give you phones? I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't think they do. They do they do do still do that? I don't know. 
Somebody in the some hey, maybe somebody who's listening, you know, is in the cell phone business. It can help you out. Well, me as so dad works it, for T Mobile, so, so maybe. Right, he so can is help. this a cost? So you're saying this is a cost thing? Not necessarily. More than a Piper's not ready thing. It's not because I have uh, one of our neighbors has two iPhone sevens. She said I'll part with fifty bucks a piece. We'll blow them all out, and you can have it for fifty bucks. So I think I might go that route. It sounds kind of cheap, but I want right. to see if she can keep it. Right. If she cannot lose it right. for like a year or so, right? And then she'll love it. She's rocking a. I, I cracked that iPhone 5 in London like two years ago when I was there. It's the crappiest phone ever. doesn't hold a charge, and she's carrying it like it's her baby. Well, I, so want, I think she'll be okay with that I want to say to you, knowing Piper the little that I do, being yeah. around a little, and then listening to that last segment, and if you haven't listened to that last segment, go back and listen. Despite the fact that I think both of you are insane to make her the last one, yeah. <laughs> she is got to be the most mature-sounding 11-year-old. She's a better interview than most of the Seahawks. I'm telling you. Mature-sounding. Let's see if she can handle the phone. She's great. <laughs> I mean, she, she can host this show in a heartbeat. My God, is she mature well, and smart. You. She and, was very nervous and to articulate. do it, so I'm, I'm glad God. it didn't come across as nervous. <laughs> Unbelievable. She is not on her way to Eastgate State. <laughs> well, no. No, Mama, no Mama will throw herself off a building if she goes. <laughs> to Eastgate State, believe me. All right, you want to start or you want me to start? You start. The head writer for the perennial CBS soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful. It's been around forever, oh, The yeah, Bold and Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually saw the set when I was down there at real time. It's at the CBS oh, lot. Great. How was that? It was kind of cool. Actually, look, seeing the little cafe and all that. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I, don't I don't know The Bold and the Beautiful. Turns out they're going to be using blow-up dolls as stand-ins for love scenes amid, amid the COVID-19 pandemic. They're going to be using blow up. They, they're they going only, to use like character generators to put the faces of the real people on there or something? I don't know how they're doing it. They, they tried to, to do the scenes without the love scenes and they said it just fell flat. It wasn't the same. They're also, the director also said, or the, the head writer said, they're also looking into other measures, including the love scenes with your spouse, with the actor's spouses. Instead of the other actor. So the spouse that's not an actor comes in. And Correct. Sing. Okay. That takes away all the fun of being an actor, I think. I mean, who the hell wants that? I didn't, look, I didn't go to Juilliard uh, to do this with my spouse. I mean, Christ. I don't think people went to Juilliard to do the love scenes, but. Uh, they were on soap operas. They didn't yeah. go to Juilliard. But, but uh, are they not, are they not having like, um, what do they call the fighting? Um, MMA. M- are they, don't they have MMA right now? Yeah, they do. But they, they've sort of bubbled it off, too. There's no fans or anything. Okay, so they can bubble off the sex scene. We're talking about two people, right? Yeah. If we can do MMA, we're going to play football. Offensive linemen are going to block. We're playing basketball. That gets a little bit physical. Yeah. Can't we just test the actor and the actress? And if they're, if they're negative, get, get after it. I guess, <laughs> I guess so. But they're trying other measures just to be, right. to be safe. Uh, are you a Jamie Foxx fan? Of course, who isn't? I have, well, I think I think, and I, I'm sure a lot of people agree. I think that Jamie Fox. If you if you had said to me before we prepared for this episode, you'd said, "Who? Give me the three or four most talented show business people, just talented." Yeah. And you didn't define talent. I would take that as okay, versatile, funny, musical. That's right. Good act. I do it all. I don't know that there is one single person on the planet who is more talented. Now, you might not be a Jamie Foxx fan, but go watch him play an instrument, the piano. Yeah. Then go watch him sing. Yeah. Then go watch him be serious in a movie. Then go watch him stand up and do com- comedy yeah, on do stage. Too, yeah. I mean, but then you, do him. Then watch him do imitation. Sketch I, comedy. He did. It was an in living color. Wasn't in living color. Yeah, he was Hilarious. one of the main guys. Yeah. In living color. I can't think. I truly can't think of two or three guys or gals that is that are more just just versatile and yeah. talented 
Jamie Foxx has more talent in this finger yeah. than all of us combined. Losing right? with talent, yes. And I read an article that said, and I'm not, are you a sports movie guy? See, I'm not. People get a kick out. Not particularly. I am not a sports movie guy. I yeah. like some. Like, Rocky's my all-time favorite. That's yeah, kind yeah. of a sports movie. I love Hoosiers. But for the most part, when a sports movie comes out, I kind of go, and sometimes don't even see it. I have an embarrassing list I didn't of- see Field of Dreams until I was like 48 years old. I haven't seen The Natural, Bull Durham. So there's some I, I yeah. just no, I don't I'm I don't run to them. Tin Tin Cup. Have you seen yeah, Tin Cup? Yeah, I, I think that was a comedy I hated though, it. wasn't it? I hated Tin Cup. <laughs> I did not like Tin it, Cup. It made fun of your precious golf. No, I just didn't. No, I just didn't like. I like Caddyshack. Oh, okay. That yeah, makes yeah. fun of the golf more than anything. I want to get a free bowl I mean, of soup yeah. with this hat. <laughs> He's so Give me a couple man. of those naked lady tees. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, I'm not a huge sports movie guy, okay. but when I saw this past week that Jamie Foxx is preparing to play Mike Tyson in a biop... What do they call it? A biopic? Yeah, biopic or biopic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I immediately was like, okay, where do I sign? I, I want to pre-reserve my seat right now. I too saw that, but I'm like, Jamie Foxx is in his 50s. How is he going to play 20-year-old Mike Tyson? But don't they do that with movie actors all the time where they make them older, they make them younger? They, they have these yeah. ways of doing that. I guess The Irishman. I don't know if you saw The Irishman with Pacino and De Niro no, and Pesci. That. That's, a, that's, a, that's a Max movie. He wanted me to see that. They, they made, yeah, I guess they took 40 years off of De Niro. So yeah, I guess uh, they, 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 they can, can do, do it. it. They, can, yeah. do it. they right. can do it. But anyway, as I was reading the story about him getting ready to prepare, uh, preparing to play Mike Tyson, I came across an audio clip of him on The Tonight Show with Fallon, okay. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, and he was talking about his relationship with Mike Tyson. When I first started doing stand-up, man, and I was like, I was so hot. I was like, I was 21, lean, you know, no, just lean and everything. I was killing L.A., right? And I'm in this hood club because I did all my jokes in the hood first. It's got to be funny in the hood before I go to Main Street. <laughs> like, because if the brothers don't like you, they're like, man, hey, man, go on with the Main Street. So anyway, so... I'm, I'm in the hood, I'm doing this joke, and I'm killing L.A., and I get to my Mike Tyson joke. And that's where I usually like, get a standing ovation. And when I get to the joke, nobody laughs. <laughs> nobody. You know why? Because Mike Tyson is in the building. <laughs> and it was crazy, because that's when Mike Tyson was, like, knocking people out for just smiling, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, he, he was breathing wrong, knocking yeah. and, and I get to that joke, and somebody yelled, Mike is in here! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was my, that was me. I lost because you know, because everything clenched up. I was like, wow. And then it was a black girl, and you know, it was a black girl egging on. She was sitting in the front. What you gonna do, Jamie? You gonna tell your little joke? (laughs) And then the dude yelled out, "Mike, sure you could do the joke, but that better be funny." So now it's the pressure. So I do the joke. I think it was something like Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson going through the drive-thru with Kentucky Fried Chicken or something like that. Hi, this is Mike Tyson. <laughs> so welcome to Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, can I get chicken, uh, chicken and biscuit and some slaw? <laughs> What's that you say, sir? I, I want slaw, I want slaw, lots of slaw. <laughs> So, so anyway, anyway, the joke goes over, it's a standing ovation, and then Mike comes up to me, there he is! Oh. And I remember, I was like, oh, yeah, cause, and he just tapped me on the chest like that, my chest caved in. 
but even that, that hurt. Oh my goodness! Yeah. But that's when I that's when I got that bug, man. And, yeah. and I actually hung out with Mike during all those times. I remember Mike was so rich; he had Lamborghini trucks and just crazy. He was he'd be in the in the, in the club. The girls like you, you like BMWs. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, he just go buy a bushel of BMWs. <laughs> just like giving them out to yeah, people. Yeah, give me a bushel of BMWs and, and add floor. <laughs> awesome. Oh. Mike Tyson has since turned into a guy who has a good sense of humor. He's been yeah. on roast, and it, yeah. I'm glad he's able to kind of have fun with who he is. But Jamie Foxx as Mike Tyson. Yeah, it's Fired gonna, up for that? Yeah, it should be good. I don't, know when, I don't know when that comes out or when that's going to be made, but I'm in. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. The Ford Motor Company recently announced their plan to reveal the all-new Ford Bronco. Did you know they stopped making the Bronco no, for a while? No, I had no idea. Are you familiar with the Ford Bronco? You can picture it. Yeah. The one that OJ was in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the white one. Right. So they decided to reveal the all-new Ford Bronco on July 9th. What else is July 9th? Wait a second. They're going to review or reveal? Reveal, sorry. Reveal. Re- to show everyone the brand new Ford Bronco. This coming July 9th. That's right. July 9th is also O.J. Simpson's birthday. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, I don't think they did either. <laughs> Come on. I That's just a coincidence? Well, they had a 1 in 365 <laughs> chance. They sure did. <laughs> so they've since postponed it after oh, people are like, what the God. F are you guys doing? Oh. So now the reveal will be Monday, July 13th, yeah. which is Al Cowling's birthday. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> AC! My guy AC! How great would it be? Oh, By the way, the top God. speed is 48 miles an hour. No. <laughs> white with red interior that's uh, that's the most common i think i should say in the other stuff segment that thank you thank you thank you to all the people who heard episode 96 with the emails that i read yes a lot of emails i've gotten a lot of encouraging emails i keep saying the same thing trust me the point of me reading those emails on 96 was not to encourage people to blow smoke up my ass <laughs> i really do appreciate it I wanted everybody to get a chuckle and encourage people to write whatever's on your mind, and that's why I did it. But it was very nice, all the nice notes after everybody heard all the nastiness, your little show, (laughs) your little comeback. There was one awful side effect of all of these emails that I've gotten in the last week. Okay. it's You know how I always like to say that these new phrases come along, and I don't know where they come from. They just... All of a sudden, everybody's doing like saying something. There was that one they that annoyed you recently. Oh, there's been a lot of them. I, I can go back and yeah, right. And, and, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, that I know. I know, right? I know, right? Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> that one got you. I don't you. know where that happened. Where yeah. that started, okay. and everybody started saying it's yeah. right. Uh, in sports vernacular, I used to do this on the old radio show. At some point, somebody started saying "walk off home run." I and yeah. I, no one announced it. There was no <laughs> memorandum. Yeah. There was no email. Nothing. It just all of a sudden, it wasn't a game-winning home run anymore. It was a walk-off home run. And from that point on, everybody's only called it a walk-off home run. And yet, for 150 years of baseball, up until that point, nobody ever used the terminology "walk off." So I don't it like. It also bled into football. Walk-off touchdown. I've heard do that. that? Oh, oh, God. Jermaine Curse in the NFC Championship I, 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 game. Walk I just, off touchdown. I just, I like, I'm the guy who, don't get off my lawn. I don't want new, like new trendy phrases. I don't like them. Right. And one has been used now 20 times this week, if it's been used once, in emails to me as a result of the emails that I read on episode 96. And here it is. I'm telling you, nobody ever said this 10 years ago. All right. And 10 years ago and all the way back since Adam and Eve, nobody <laughs> once said this. Wow. And now everybody writes it and says it. Okay. You ready? Yep. Mitch, you do you. Ah, uh, you do you. You do you. <laughs> <laughs> you do you. Is that driving you nuts? 
You do Where did you? this start? You do you. <laughs> Literally, don't listen to them. Like a woman writes a nice email about the podcast, a man, a, a, a young man. It doesn't matter what the ages. They all end up saying, Mitch, don't listen to these people. You're doing a great job. Mitch, you do you. Yeah. Now, it's nice. I understand that it's a compliment and it's 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 supposed to be empowering. Hey, yeah, you, yeah. I want you to be. But what, all of a sudden, <laughs> the whole world uses you do you. Where? where? <laughs> Did this happen with the with the walk off home run? With yeah. the, I know, right? I mean, it's hard to keep up. Where, where, where did who who's the? Is there somebody out there? Yes, there's one person. One it's person like Oz, the guy like, who's like, you know what? Eighteen months ago, I wrote you do you. Yeah. I was the first person, and now everybody. I, how does this happen? I don't know. Boomer, you hear Boomer? Am I right? By the way, had you ever heard you do you tw- fifteen years ago? Yeah, well, fifteen. I, I don't know. Maybe not. I've I've heard. Come I'm, on. I'm gonna do me, or I'm yeah. I'm gonna do me. You do you. I've heard that. But that's recent. But that's got to be in the last years ten ago, yeah. years. Never. I, I don't know where these things come from. If, if Eve said to Adam. <laughs> You do you. Oh, she boy. would have looked at him like, what the hell are you talking about? We wouldn't what even be that? here. What is that? <laughs> if you believe that story, we wouldn't even be here. <laughs> Go on. Oh. Yeah, I don't know where they come from. I, I keep hearing. Oh, I mean, what, where, where does this happen? What How about, does this happen? Do you know what a Karen is? Karen, you quit being a Karen. Have you heard Karen? Well, wasn't there a Karen? Weren't they referring to one of the people that made, made, did, did some racial profiling yeah. in, in Central Park? Did they refer to her as a Karen? Yeah, they're all Karens yeah. now. They, yeah. Karen's I, don't know, a certain, I don't know what that is. It's a yeah. certain type of woman. Yeah. I, don't yeah. I just. I, I've been called a boomer. Boomer is a new one. You're a boomer. Anyone who's old's a boomer. I guess I'm not, I'm not pissed that we have new things that we say. I would just like to be on the note where it was announced (laughs) or like, like maybe they should break into programming and say, ladies and gentlemen, somebody has come up with a new phrase that everybody wants to use. So we just want the world to know as of now, you do you is a real empowering thing. Let's all use it. And then I'd be okay with it because I was sitting in the, I heard it, but it just happens. And I feel like, okay, where did I miss? What did I miss? I must've missed the, the announcement. So you don't, you don't want to be consulted. You just want to be informed. I'd like to be consulted. Oh, you would. Okay, so you can say yeah or nay too. Anyway, thank you to everybody with the. Oh, I, I wanted to read one. There, 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 not one, but if there was one theme to the emails that were reactive to the emails that we read on ninety six, and if you haven't listened to episode ninety six, go back to the beginning of episode ninety six. I read a bunch of emails. Funny. They're very funny. Um, people are not happy with the the email and our reaction, your reaction, the the disrespect of using the word jesus hmm so you're saying they're, they're not happy with me using it I, no they're not happy with us succumbing to oh, i see the pressure not to use it i'm okay. a big fan here in southern california it's nice to hear the seattle perspective keep the non-sports segment going you're a gifted interviewer and the stories you find interesting are really enjoyable to hear three pieces of feedback this guy wrote this is just one of them number one I'm offended that Scott was sorry for using the Lord's name in vain. I demand to hear the Lord's name taken in vain at least twice per episode. Number two, I'm also offended by your lack of swearing overall on the podcast. Me. Number three, I'm glad to hear you laugh at listener feedback. Who gives an F? what some random person like me or anybody else thinks. It's your show. I'm glad that you do whatever the F you want. 
You do you. <laughs> Keep it up. Stuart Tuzel from well, look, Southern California. If it offends people, I don't want to do that. And just now I'm thinking about me saying. And there were, by the way, there were two or three or four other ones that said, look, it's called unfiltered. You guys are speaking off the cuff. If Scott uses the word Jesus, he uh, th- th- there was some defense of right. that and and dislike of the emailer who said, I turn it off as soon as I can take cursing, but as soon as you use you. So I don't know where that, where that leaves us. Right mask now, or no mask, I have no idea. <laughs> all I can think about now is me saying, if you believe that story with Adam and Eve. Now I have that in my head. People are going to be, you know, outraged about that too. But I, I'm not looking to offend people. If it's, if I'll... Pull it back if it if it's bothering. Can people. you control it? Is it something that you say as kind of a <sighs> reflex when you? Because I've noticed, you know, when you say it, mm. is when I say something. The once a year I say something funny. Oh yeah, yeah. And I you start that. to laugh. You'll go Jesus. Yeah. You la- you actually say Jesus. Well, I'll switch it to G's. 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 Yeah. J e e z e. That'll okay, be my next one. Go. All right. This isn't really funny, but I wanted to get this out there. I can't believe this happened at the Geico 500 that got underway Sunday at Alabama's Talladega Super Speedway. Oh my God. We really we were really talking about this. Well, somebody flew a plane over the track with a massive banner bearing the Confederate flag, and we as we talked about NASCAR last week banned any use of the confederate flag and obviously some people aren't all too pleased with nascar's new policy so i couldn't believe that somebody rented a plane to fly the confederate flag there you go over a nascar race you should be able to believe that in this highly pressurized moment that we live you should believe that that should not take you by surprise so the sign you know you can picture planes towing a sign yeah, it yeah, said of course. it had the confederate flag and it said defund nascar defund nascar so there you go NASCAR's trying, but people aren't getting in line with My it. My last one is, have you ever heard of Tis the Law, Hotshot Scott? Tis the Law. Yes, man. the name of the New York bred horse that won the Belmont on Saturday. That's right. Going away. The, the favorite going in and blew the field away in the Belmont. And by virtue of winning the Belmont, number one, it becomes the first New York bred horse to win the Belmont in New York. Since 1882, there hasn't been a New York bred horse to win Belmont. That's number one. But the sad part of this is they've reversed it. Well, they haven't really reversed it because Kentucky Derby's next, but Belmont's always last. Well, do you know anything about horse racing? Do you a know, little bit. Do you know why the Belmont is always considered the hardest one to win? I don't. Because it's the longest one. Okay. And it's the last one in a grueling, like, six or seven week period. They say that, you know, there's been tons of horses that have won the first two, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and then they can't win the Belmont because it's just such a grueling, long... They shorten the race because of coronavirus. They shorten the race to one and one-eighth miles. Okay. And it's the first one instead of the last one. And they're not running the second one, which is the Kentucky Derby, until September the 5th. Normally, they run them two weeks apart yeah. or three weeks apart. It's like, what are we in? We're in, we're in June. June. It's yeah. not till September 5th. Um, so what I'm saying is, tis the law could be the greatest horse of all time. We'll never know. If tis the law wins all three, there'll be an asterisk uh, next to him. The, the, it'll be the worst triple crown because they'll be like, wait a second, the Belmont was only a mile and an eighth, and it was like six weeks before the Kentucky Derby. There will be a huge – you talk about – 2020 graduates getting the short end of the stick. Tis the law <laughs> right. is getting – if tis the law goes on and wins both the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness to become a triple corner round winner, it will get the short end of all time horsey sticks. Well, that, that is a bummer. A short stick. For tis the law. I used to like horse racing a lot, and I'm not trying to bum people out, but remember the yeah. horse that broke its leg? Yeah, there were, there's been a couple of Oof. tragedies on the, on the track that have not looked good. Yeah, that kind of turned me off a little I'm bit sure from it. Because I used to love going to Emerald Downs and – 
see our old pal Joe Withy. Yeah. And, you know, I brought Piper one time. Ron and, Crockett. Yeah, Ron Crockett. Yeah. Um, who's yeah. that trainer that's from here that's like the most prodigious horse trainer not ever? not Bob Baffert, is he? Uh, yeah, think so. ba- I'm thinking Baffert. Who, is, he, is he from here? I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I, yeah. I thought he was. I don't, I'm anyway. making things up as we go along. Soccer I, I kickstand. To, but, I, but I used to like horse racing. It was fun. But, that, but you don't watch Boy, that leg flopping, it kind of kind of turned me off to it a little bit. Right. Well, tis right. the law is the winner of the first leg of the Triple Crown. Congratulations there to Tiz. All right, you ready? That's all I got. A 30-year-old. Oh, I didn't talk about Jamal Adams. Jam- oh, yeah, that's right. We talked about it in the first segment with the interview, but we didn't talk about Jamal Adams. So do you want to Well, go I kind of want to end with a 30-year-old man had to go to a hospital. Okay, I'll just make this quick on Jamal Adams. <laughs> okay. Seahawk fans are, are salivating at the idea of Jamal Adams. I saw people putting their fake secondary together of who it would be. And, I've uh, seen Jamal Adams' face on a Seahawks jersey. I've, yeah, seen, right. <laughs> I've seen the whole thing. And look, I don't know what's going to happen. And Jamal Adams, he's 24 years old and the best safety in the NFL. They say he's the best safety in the NFL. He's going to make more money than any safety ever has in the history of the NFL. He, he, he gets sacks. He blitzes. He stops the run. He's Big great hitter. in coverage. He's a hitter. Okay. He's a good against the running. Yeah, he, he does everything. He's a great, great young player, I believe. I want to say from LSU. Anyway, <clears throat> so Seahawks fans would love to get him. I, as a Seahawks fan, would love to have Jamal Adams. But let me make my feelings very clear. He's got two years left on his contract. He's going to make $3.5 million. He's the biggest bargain in the NFL this coming year. He's going to make $3.5 million as the best safety in the yeah. NFL. The club has control of him for at least two years. Then they can put the franchise tag on him for at least one, if not two years. So they have control of the player for three or four years, and he's 24 years old and the best safety, and they're rebuilding. Now, I would love to have him on the Seattle Seahawks, but if you are the New York Jets and you have that kind of commodity and that kind of control over that commodity, are you trading him unless you get just a king's ransom, a a prohibitive, I mean, just a, a, a package that would cripple the team that's giving you the package to get Jamal Adams? Would you take anything less than that? Or would you say, okay, we're at least we're at least going to play him for one more year at 3.5 million and then maybe we'll trade him either at the deadline to a team that really needs somebody or we'll trade him next offseason when there's still another year or two of club control there's no look if this jets general manager this new guy who's the jets general manager if he trades Jamal Adams for a reasonable package of players and draft choices yeah he should be fired and never be allowed to be a GM again in the NFL. Wow. He should only – there's the only way he should ever trade this guy at this moment now, I, I, I'll change my mind in a year from now. And, and by the way, don't, don't give me the whole, well, he's going to threaten to hold out. He's not holding out. None of these guys, they threaten – none of these guys go without $3.5 or go without eight, yeah, eight, yeah. $9 million. But He's going to play – What about playing kind of half-ass? He's not going to play half-ass. Randy Johnson was accused of mailing okay. it in. He did mail it. Okay, uh, <laughs> so players don't do that apparently. He's not, he's not going to play <laughs> okay. half-assed. Right. He's t- it, it's too important. His next contract will be on the line. If he plays half-assed yeah, and then he doesn't do well, then he's in line to be the richest safety of all time. He's going to play – He's going to give his best. If you're the Jets, so if you're the Seahawks, the only way the Seahawks can get him right now is if they give up just way too much, way too, couple of first round, maybe players, you know, yeah. two first rounder, two second. Or there's no, 
I, I, I tend to believe he will be a New York Jet to start the season. That's what I want to say about Jamal Adams. Now you can have the final, final word. So you're telling Seahawks fans to kind of tamp down your excitement level no, because I mean, it's probably want, not going to happen uh, well, or it shouldn't all, happen. First of all, the, the other part of this is he's given them seven teams. Yeah. He's given them seven teams. Okay. What makes the Jets have to trade? He doesn't have a no trade clause in his contract. Right. He's on a rookie contract. This is the contract that he got when he was 21 years old and no one knew how good he was going to be. They they must be laughing behind closed doors. He's given us seven teams. If we want to trade him to the freaking Arizona Cardinals who aren't on the list, we'll trade him to the <laughs> right. Arizona Cardinals. There's no no. Tra- I mean, he's giving yeah, them. Now, right. what he's saying is, okay. What are you, John Elway as a rookie? What, he, what he's saying is, is okay, if you don't trade, if you trade me to a team that's not one of these seven, I'm going to threaten a holdout and insist on a new contract right now. If you trade me to one of these seven, I'll play this year for $3.5 million and I won't ask for a new contract. I'll be a happy camper. That's the leverage he's trying to use. That's the, that's the poker gotcha. card okay. he's trying to use. Now, again, they can trade him wherever the hell they want. <laughs> right. And he will play hard for whoever he plays because he needs to play hard to get the $17 million a year contract that he wants. Anyway, that's it. That's all my Jamal Adams. All right, last one for me. Yeah. A 30-year-old man. Oh, no. Traveled to this isn't a P episode. Jiaqing First People's Hospital in Guangdong, China, on June third, after complaining of abdominal pain, after a series Scott, of stop, after, don't do this. After a series, remember of, Piper was on this oh, show. That's true. I'm, I'm ready to sully it. After a series <laughs> don't of don't do cat this, scans and X-ray scans. No, don't do this. What's the <clears throat> what was what they find? They found the source of the insert, problem. And where did he insert it? It was a freshwater <laughs> fish. And when asked by understandably baffled nurses how it got in there, the man claimed he accidentally sat on it. He accidentally sat on a fish, and that's how it got up there. (laughs) Because fish just happen to be on your seat all the time. And they always stand straight up, right? We've all been there, right? We've all had that excuse. How big of a fish are we talking about? Well, we can look it up. It's like the one that the Jordan crew caught in the... (laughs) I don't think it was quite that big. But it's a Mozambique tilapia. They found it It was too... It's a tilapia. A tilapia, sure. My son loves tilapia. I'll have a tilapia. He's not going to look at it the same after this story. (laughs) They found it was too big to be removed by an emergency endoscopy. Yeah, it's a good fish. So they decided to open up his abdomen to get out the dead fish. The fish was dead inside of him. Okay, but was the fish alive when when it entered? That's a question for the thirty-year-old man. Upstream, it may have, and it's got some like spikes Why on it. The da- damage. Why do you do this to me? Yeah. Well, I wanted to give oh, the listeners a treat. Usually, I save that stuff for a the treat. patrons, but yeah, it's a big, big you treat. You said for them. you save these for the P episode. Yeah, but then you made me feel guilty about it, so I wanted to give them a little love too. You know, there you go. Be careful with what you know, what you do with live animals in your body. Be safe, everybody. Become a patron. Ninety-seven P will be released on Thursday. This is episode ninety-seven. Uh, do we do? Oh yeah, we got to come up with one. I guess it's episode Jeremy Roenick. Yeah, I mean, he's the most accomplished. If you want to do it straight up, he's the most accomplished. More than Simeon Rice and Kurt Busch and David Ritchie and Rufus Porter and Patrick Kearney and Puna Ford. It's not particularly sexy as no. we sit here in the Pacific Northwest. Not to us, but to some hockey fans. 18 seasons. Yeah. Oh, let's find out. Would you You want me to? I'll find out. we got to find out. He's one of three American-born players All right. to score more than 500 goals. And you asked me in the first segment, who are the other American-born NHL players to have scored 500 goals? And I answered. Gretzky's Canadian, right? Of course he is. <laughs> the great one. Yeah. 
Gordie Howe's probably Canadian. That's uh, that's my whole hockey knowledge right there. It looks like American hockey players. It looks like it's Mike Madonna. Okay. Madonna is the all-time goal scorer and points leader in the end. I don't know. See, I don't know. The 500 NHL. Here's the 500 NHL goal club. 45 members. There are 45 members oh, in boy. the uh, in the gold. Oh boy, I can't. I don't know the answer. To this what about Lindros? Is he on there? Has he scored four hundred goals. I just remember Eric Lindros. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's Mike. Mad- I don't know. Well, tune in next week to Hockey Talk. Here, where we'll- so Jeremy Roenick, Mike Madano, uh, Mark Recky, Recky. Well, Messier. Is he American? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Well, it should probably be Jeremy Roenick. He sounds like a very accomplished fella. <laughs> Let's just give it to right Jeremy Roenick. People that are, can't, can't wait for the NHL in Seattle are like, how do these guys not know? They're, they're hating us right now, they're yes. Hating us. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it goes. All right, that's it? Yep. Is it episode Jeremy Roenick? Happy Father's Day to you. Oh, happy Father's Day. Uh, safe travels to Tacoma. Thank you very I much. I hope you don't blow a tire and end up a bubble tea. As do I. <laughs> it is bubble tea, right? Correct, yes, okay. bubble tea. Okay. Have you been back with the waffles? No, we were supposed to go over the weekend, but we had something else to do, and you know, she's very upset. Okay. But we will be back. All right. Episode Jeremy Roenick. Yes. Is in the place.